get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You see out here, Molina stepping to the plate with the game winning run out there. What's your mind? Game's over. I think the game's over. Yeah, it's time to go home. Yachty's up. This is it. A ball and two strikes. Molina with a drive. And a deep right. It is down. The Cardinals will win it. Goldie scores. Yachty delivers against Kimbrell. The final in 10 3 2. Last night was a tough loss. You know, it really was. And, and, uh, you know, you're just sitting there going, oh, we just we can't lose this game, too. Like, we just can't lose it. I mean, I know there's a lot of games to be played left, too, but, you know, losing two games in a row um, where you had them right on the ropes would have been really painful. So I'm glad we got that win. The clubhouse is rocking right now. That's where we needed to be. If you're looking for a place that's going to break down the ninth inning and everything that went wrong for the Cardinals last night. Well, this is it right here. In about 10 minutes or so, we'll be the place for you. But that is not what we're going to do in this open today. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. That audio courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest as the Cardinals get a 3-2 to win in 10 innings last night. And Alex Ferrario, I'm not sure I've ever seen a bigger collective exhale game than the one that the Cardinals won last night. That was a must win in every sense of the word after the way that things went down on Tuesday night. It's amazing how emotions turn so fast because uh, in the ninth inning, it was more of a, are you blanking kidding me? Then it turned into the sigh of relief, luckily in the bottom of the 10th inning and a game that you started off disappointed in because you know, you're down one nothing, and it screams to you. It's like, oh, here we go again, boys. Find a way to lose multiple ones in a row against the Cubs. As Bader's backing up for that, ho- what appeared to be a home run ball, I was like, really? I was thinking that little... In a way no start. I was thinking that little kid who was r- trying to snag that home run, that, that kid might have turned into Steve Bartman if that ball went into his glove or her glove. Um, but regardless, the seventh inning, they, they get the response. They take the lead. But once again, the bullpen, you're like, are you kidding me? And you get hit after hit. And I'm not talking about ball off bat. I'm talking ball off butt. And then you get into extras. 
And when Rizzo gets tagged out at third base, you're thinking, okay, capitalize on this. Yeah. Do not miss this opportunity. Treat this like game one against the Cubs where Javier Baez couldn't pick up a baseball. Luckily, they did because if that would have gone the other way, if we were talking today about a 3-2 Cubs victory, I don't think you could be selling anybody on jumping on board of this bandwagon that you want people to get can, on board with. Can I do with. that now? No. Can I do that now no. after last no. night? No. They won. No. You, no. you won three, They're going two, for three out of four. You won three, two in extras what, and an extra people, inning rule that T-Bone hates. What? I it's actually okay. don't mind the extra inning rule. Oh, my but God. Of all the yeah. rules that Seriously, you hate, I'd rather you see you guys like, first. I don't like the 19 inning You hate double headers, but yet. Oh, those suck. You love this, Look, where I they like put a, a runner on second? I like a nice nine-inning game, but if it goes extras, I don't want to stay okay, up enough. To yeah. like three That's yeah. why you're not jumping We're on board. You. Well, no, I'm not jumping on board yet because the Cardinals played at the, they're playing at the same level as the Cubs, and that's why I'm not jumping on winning? board. They're Are winning, you, do you not like but winning? they're playing down to their competition. This should be a team you should be wiping the floor with. Look, that's like that's like showing up for a rec softball game. The other team doesn't show up, and you're zero and six up to that point. They don't winning? show up, and you're like, "Hey, we got the win. Are we winning?" Yeah. No, you're terrible. And I'm speaking from from realistic moments because my softball team lives that life. And We're terrible. Yeah, checks out. Don't, don't. <laughs> not me. I'm I'm horrible. BK, don't start the bandwagon because we saw what the BKO effect was. What people don't know was in the group chat last night. You reversed the BKO, which was fantastic. I don't remember what you said exactly, but you said... I said uh, they were going to win in the 10th inning, bottom of the 10th. Yachty's oh, coming up. They're good. Don't don't repeat anything else. That's exactly I, no, how it worked I'll, I'll just, I'll just phrase it this way. He goes, hopefully somebody contributes because I don't want to see 11th. And I went, oh, great. Now we're going to see 11th. But no, it was reverse BK. It was That's fantastic. right. Yeah, it was great. Um, I was so frustrated as that game went to extras. It's like, you got to be bleep. I, I had the exact same reaction as Alex Ferrario. You got to be bleeping kidding me. Again, again, we're going to do this. They had the game locked in, and I had all of my notes again for the second straight night ready to go about, once again, Harrison Bader being awesome. Nolan Arenado with an underrated game that I feel like is going completely overlooked. Defensively last night, he was outstanding. That was one of his best defensive games of the year for the Cardinals. You look at what you were able to get at the plate from Dylan Carlson. He ended up being the guy that got... Mike Schilt thrown out of the game. Schilt's showing a little bit of emotion during the game as well. All around, top to bottom in that lineup, they played a pretty darn solid game overall. Adam Wainwright giving you an outstanding start in that one. The St. Louis Cardinals right now are playing better baseball. I know you're saying that they're playing down to their competition. There is some truth to that. But I think we would be, you can't do this. I think we'd be looking at this team entirely differently right now if for one inning in each of the last two nights, you got better results. And I know, again, you can't eliminate that. That is part of the story of what the Cardinals are because they tend to have those innings where things go awry for them. But for 16 of the last 18 innings, they've looked really good. Base running, defense, pitching at the plate. They've been pretty darn solid top to bottom. So it's hard for me to sit here today, despite all of the issues in the ninth the last two nights, and say anything other than anything positive about them. Some would compare it to the 2004 Cardinals team, 2006 Cardinals team. Just the 11. Maybe the 11. I swear to God, you didn't combine it to the 11. We're going to have to go. I, it's in the open I, I from swear. yesterday, man. we got to go back and listen to that I, because I, I swear it was it was at 11. I just 11. don't listen to BK usually when he's on the air. Um that's not nice to say when you're on BK and company. Oh, are we on right now? Yeah. Oh, I thought these mics were off right now. Anyway, 
you can, I don't even know if you can use the playing down the competition other than in the Cubs series because I mean you did just beat the Giants in two yeah. straight series. So that And was, we don't have to mention the fact that three other best players were hurt. And what about we don't have to mention it. What about in June when they played down to I don't know, the Pirates, the Rockies, June is the Tigers? Different. It's oh, July, sorry. man. Yeah, didn't you hear MLB Central saying here come the Cardinals? No. That happened? Yeah. Really? Yeah, this morning. Who said it? Real? Oh, I'm, I'm making this up, guys. Come on. Oh, you know better than this. I, I, thought, I thought you were serious. I was no, like, oh, no, they're on, on board you know with my this. feelings about the Cardinals right now. As as much as it's all, as we like to call it here on 101 ESPN, sunshines and lollipops, because the pitching has been better. And despite one bad inning and two straight nights, the bullpen has been better, even though it seems like all of their arms are about to fall off. And in the last three games, you're getting offense from everybody. And that's been my big thing. But you're still not having those distinctive victories. Does that make sense? Like, you're winning in extras. You're winning off of a bad inning. A lot of one-run games. Yeah, you're not having that game where it's like, oh, this team's on fire right now. Because I mean, they did that against Chicago on Monday. Eight to three. Four to three. Those four runs oh. were unearned runs. That doesn't oh, wow. count. They, scored. they don't count. It's four to three. But regardless, you just haven't had that that decisive game where it's like, yeah, we're the Cardinals. We have Arenado and Goldschmidt and Carlson and O'Neill. I don't even have to watch now. Yeah. I, well, luckily, I was, I was going to go to bed anyway, so might as well. It's now. a 6-15 uh, first pitch tonight. Ooh, that means I can game. get to the seventh inning. That's right. You're hey, going to be hey. able to make it through. Not, not a doubleheader, so you will have a couple of innings that you don't see. That, that's fine. Hey, I, I we all the, know what happens in the ninth, guys. It's very bad, bad news, but that's typically where the adventure begins. Yeah, but that's what's fun at 3 a.m. Because then, as I told you yesterday, the emotions don't matter as much. Because when you're groggy after feeding a yelling baby at 2 in the morning, you're like, well, if they lose, this will make going back to sleep easier. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. Let him have it, tax line. Give it to him. From the 618, I just want to say thank you to BK for making Shilty mad. I love it when he gets fired up. Also from the 618, guys, I'd like to think that Shilty, when he was getting thrown out of the game last night, all he was doing was picturing BK as the umpire. Yeah, I can see that. I think that entire clubhouse was picturing BK as the umpire Whoa, there. What? I don't think the rest of the clubhouse is mad at me. Oh, yeah, they are. They all are. Are they? Probably. I talked with Wayno and Shilty after the game last night. Oh, everything was hunky-dory? Wouldn't go that far, but it was fine. Did you show your face <laughs> on that Zoom? That's what I want to know. Of or did course. you keep the screen yeah, black and it just said, like, somebody else's name? Said <laughs> unanimous whatever. Uh, Mike Schilt, Tanner Hendrickson from 101 ESPN has the next question. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. That's not how this went. It was a good night for the Cardinals overall. They get the W. You've won two out of three so far against the Cubs. And again, we know the math on this. You had to win two of the first three to be able to win three out of four in this series. And Alex, I said this with Danny Mack. If you would have told me coming out of the all-star break, the Cardinals would win two out of three against San Francisco and then three out of four against the Cubs. Whoa, they haven't won three out of four against the Cubs. They will tonight. When they do that, I I would have signed up for that immediately. Well, yeah. You've got Cincinnati, three games coming up this weekend. Nick Castellanos has a micro fracture in his wrist right now. It sounds like he's unlikely to play this weekend. Micro fracture. Better than a macro fracture. Take some econ. There's an R in fracture. What I, I say? Fracture. 
which is kind of similar. Those, those words are hard for me when you put two R's really close together, like micro I See, I can't do that. Microfracture. It's like Emily the other day, and this is no disrespect. Oh, my she God. Now he's calling on Emily. She's tried saying Giannis's last name, and she, she called herself out on the air. It uh, it was an adventure. And That's Barnes right. had the same thing in the afternoon. That's a hard name. It was amazing Emily to hear. Barnes, it doesn't matter because you never forgot a player's name and then called him Anthony Stalter <laughs> on the air. <laughs> There will never be a lower moment hey, listen, for a man. Sports Center update than this man right here. I'm the last one to talk about low moments in a public setting over the last 48 hours, so I get it. Been there, done that. <laughs> big big game for the Cardinals tonight. They got to get this one. I, I know we've talked a lot about must wins. There's going to be a lot of those going into the July 30th trade deadline. So over the next week or so, this team needs to start racking up the W's. You've got KK on the mound. He's been excellent for the Cardinals of late. He's up to a 2.87 ERA on the season. He has allowed exactly zero earned runs in each of his last three starts against the Cubs and, it's and the And it's his 33rd birthday, so you know he's going to throw 33 innings tonight. That oh, would be impressive. If it goes that long. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it would be a hell of a feat. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk more about the Cardinals throughout the day today. Coming up at 12 o'clock, Luke Korak, our Blues insider, is going to join the show, and we'll Dive into some of the uh, Doug Armstrong um, quotes from earlier today here in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, all right, we talked about the good. There was a lot of good last night in the game. There was good. There was a lot of it. It was good. There was also some bad. And I think this is what Mike Schultz was talking about when he got mad at me the other night. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I can't pitch those guys every night. We got a five-run lead in the ninth. Other guys have to pick. There's a reason there's a three-run save. We brought Alex in with, with some cushion. Didn't happen. You can second-guess it all you want. It's the right move. It didn't work out. If you want to pitch those guys every night, we won't have anybody left come September. So that was Mike Schiltz when he was upset with me, justifiably so, a couple of nights ago. I asked the questions about going to a reliever in the ninth inning, that I would have done something different. You know know what? It's not your job. (laughs) That's right. It's not my job. However, I do think that the quote from Mike Schilt there was insightful and important for what we saw last night because the Cardinals in that game last night had to go to Cabrera, had to go to Gallegos because they wanted to lock in that victory. And guess what happened, boys? Giovanni Gallegos, who is completely overworked at this point in the season, and Schultz is right on this, he's starting to show some cracks. He is not having the same command that we saw from him early in the season. Alex Reyes, we're starting to see him look a little more rusty than he did earlier in the season. Both of them are still very good, and they are still two of your best options, probably the two best options in your bullpen. But... When you hear Mike Schultz say we can't go to those guys every night, what you saw yesterday, them not having the same command that we saw early in the season, that's why. The Cardinals yesterday were the first team this season to hit three batters in any inning. (laughs) It has been five years since any other team in Major League Baseball hit three batters in the ninth inning, and last night was the first time in franchise history. Let me say this one more time. The Cardinals have been around for more than 100 years, and last night was the first time in the history of the franchise that they hit five batters in a single game. 
The command right now for this bullpen is at an all-time low, which is saying something because they've had an unbelievable walk rate, unsustainably high, we thought, all season long. So if you're looking at any of the command metrics, walks, hit-by-pitches, wild pitches, any of those things, the Cardinals right now rank right at or near the bottom of the league in almost every significant category. And it's something that, Alex, if they are going to get back on track the way that I have suggested I believe they will, they're going to have to add to this bullpen. Maybe that comes by way of them getting guys back healthy, but I also think it's going to be more than that. I think they have to add somebody, maybe multiple somebodies, to this pitching staff, whether it's starters or relievers, before the deadline. Because right now, this bullpen is running on fumes. They are. I mean, just uh, first of all, John Gant, I know he started for a while, 74 and a third innings thrown. For John Gant, Gallegos is at 50, Cabrera is at 44 and a third, Reyes is at 43 and two thirds. The next closest after Latino Heat is Ryan Helsley at 38 and two thirds. Like that's that's borderline arm about to fall off for these guys. And I understand Reyes was needed to get to that 100 plateau. That's what they were looking for. Um, and Gallegos was going to be abused basically in terms of bullpen use because he is kind of the go-to guy in tight jams. But the hit-by-pitches have come become, these guys are just fatigued. And, I mean, I was watching the game two nights ago, so the one that that you basically upset Mike Schilt with, and, and when, when that inning just started to combust, you could tell from Reyes' standpoint, the dude is just spent. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, those throws that he's doing, like, you could see the fatigue in his face. Last night, you could see the fatigue in the face of Giovanni Gallegos. And I know he threw only, what, six pitches in the previous game, but these guys right now, well, Gallegos and Cabrera have thrown four out of the last five nights. I, I mean, that's, the, that's just wildly unsustainable. And I, I, I want to say this on the front end, or on the back end, I guess of this, I, I think it's necessary well, right yeah. now. I get it. I, I agreed with the decision to go to those guys because you had to win that baseball game. You had to. So you're going to your best dudes and they wanted the ball and I respect them for doing so. But Man, that is a crazy rate of usage right now. Like, we talk about how Milwaukee, the way they use their bullpen, it's unsustainable. The Cardinals are doing the same thing. Yeah. If you look in the National League right now, Alex, three of the top nine relievers in innings pitched this year, three of the top nine play for the Cardinals. That's crazy. The only other team that has multiple players in the top 10 is Pittsburgh. That's the only other one. That's. It's just an unbelievable, unsustainable rate of usage that you're seeing right now for their pen. In, in particular, those three guys. Yeah, and if you're John Mozalak, you're sitting here watching this saying, if we want any chance post-July 31st, you have to get arms. Yep. I don't care if it's a starter. I don't care if it's a reliever. you got to get somebody who can throw the ball and who is not worn down because every other night, you have to be telling Gallegos, Reyes, Cabrera, shut it down. Because if you're our go-to three, but some of that goes on the offense too. And I understand you can't do this every night, but like you need some run support, right? Like, like you got to give these guys something right now. You really need a run where the Cardinals win two or three games in a row where it's like eight to three. We're a six-one, kind of what they had the other night. <laughs> I was about night. to say, you say like Tuesday? And then yeah, you put basically Garcia Tuesday, and... but they need the guy to finish it out. And again, Garcia maybe got a little unlucky with the two plays in a row where that were errors, and then it just unraveled from there. But you really need games like that. You need about three of them in a row to where you can say, okay, we can go to a Miller, we can go to McFarland, which, by the way, McFarland does look really good. Now, it's a very, very, very small sample size, but you know you're pitching well when – Two pitches in a row, you get three outs. Just saying. What, what eye roll? Come on. 
You he, know he's going to be in the circle before the year's over. I I don't know that at all. Might as well um, put Garcia in there. By too. the way, I he's I was good. a little surprised to see them not use Andrew Miller yesterday. I I thought it was interesting after the game, and you mentioned this in our group text as well. Maybe they went that route because T.J. McFarland has a better ground ball rate, and that's what Mike Schilt said after the game. And he, he got out of the inning. Yeah, and it ended up working out perfectly for them. Exactly, Are I would imagine as I they had a Mike Schilt type of move drew it up. Yeah, you 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 explained it well as to why they went uh, with him in that spot. It worked. It was the the correct decision, clearly. Um, but I am a little surprised, like the usage, the lack of usage for Andrew Miller in the last week pretty startling he's appeared in one game over the last week so it, I, I'm interested to see if they go to him tonight I would think they kind of have to to be able to get him a little bit of work but this bullpen as a whole the, to the larger point it, it's a problem right now they have three guys that you trust and they're utilizing them almost too much and I, I get why they're doing it it's a personnel problem not a managerial problem and they need to be able to add to that mix and last night I was going back and forth because I'm always curious what the national perspective is on the local teams. And last night's game was available on ESPN as well. So you had Eduardo Perez, Carl Ravitch, and Tim Kirkchen that were on the game last night. Alex, they were going in on the Cardinals in the ninth inning. I mean, they, like, Tim Kirkchen at one point said, like, Cardinals fans are smart. They can see what they're watching right now. Basically saying, like, the Cardinals need to add to this bullpen. Because it, what's happening right now is completely unbelievable. Like, it... I'm not sure I've ever seen anything quite like it did in terms of, of them, the lack of command. Did any of them go John Heyman-esque and say, well, this guy shouldn't even be a Major League Baseball player? No, it wasn't like that. It was more That's of a, good. how is this the best option that they have in this situation? Yeah. You I, know? I, I mean, if you're on a national perspective and you're questioning what this team's... I, I mean, frankly, that's questioning John Mozeliak, right? Yeah. It's questioning the fact that you've gone this long without making a move, and I understand the high demand from other teams to make some type of move, but there has to be something out there that you can just say, we just need arms. And I know you you got Wade LeBlanc, who was forced into a starting position. And I know you got uh, Garcia, who didn't pan out too well. You got a couple of other guys, Justin Miller. But, like, you can't just sit there and, from the national perspective, this is where it's at now, and say, this is all you're doing? If you're competing in the NL Central and you're saying, well, we're not sure if we're going to be buyers or if we're just going to kind of be holders, this is all you're doing? You, this will not survive and frankly, I think Eduardo Perez knows what he's talking about. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. Guys, by Monday, there's a legitimate chance that the Cardinals are three or four games back of the Brewers. Would that change your outlook on this team? Yeah, and it should change the outlook from this front office as well. And I think that's to your point, Alex. They need to add if they think that they have any chance of being a legit competitor in this division. They have to. Because what you're doing right now is not going to work in the long run. And I don't know if it's the sexiest name that you have to get. I no. just think you need to get a guy who can give you a couple of innings. Strike throwers. Yeah. Like what they've done with Wade LeBlanc, that is exactly the type of guy that they need to add. Justin Miller has been a, a, a admirable mm-hmm. addition to this bullpen. He's He's been helping them. Cole Hamels. Sorry. <laughs> Something like that. Bless, they, bless you. Thank you. You're they welcome. don't have to go out there and get a $10 million a year reliever. They don't. Get somebody that can come in, that can throw strikes, that you feel confident can get you out of the sixth inning. If your starter goes five and you need a clean sixth, go get you somebody that can get you in, out of that spot. What's Trevor Rosenthal doing? Well, he's hurt. He's hurt. Oh. What's Brett Cecil doing? I don't know. Video Playing video games. games. Yeah. Nice. Gotcha. Uh, there was one other thing that I did want to bring up from last night's game, and here's what it sounded like as it took place last night. Mike Schultz came out and met Dylan as he was walking back to the... Uh, 
Cardinal dugout, and he got in front of him, and he took over. And he took over the argument, and then even to the point of getting tossed here uh, between innings. Mike's going to get his money's worth, isn't he? Cardinal fans who love it, and defending his uh, rookie right fielder, Dylan Carlson. Mike Schilt over the last 48 hours has shown all of the Cardinals fans that wanted to see some emotion, all of the emotion they could have asked for. He got thrown out of a game, and he yelled in a post-game press conference. And he kind of called out the other part of the bullpen, which was nice. Is that, are we, are we all good now? We, we don't need to, we're not too worried about Schilty not showing any fire, passion, emotion, right? Like, uh, we're, I need we're more. good with that now? I need more. Really? I need, his, <laughs> I need really? to see saliva thrown towards the umpire. Oh, I need I to see more mono. finger pointing. Yeah. I need more finger pointing. Frankly, I'd like you see, Mike, to pick up home plate and take it into the dugout with you. I need more. Okay. I need more. Wait. I thought he got his money's worth yesterday. He did. I mean, he wasn't the minor league manager who was, like, going around the bases and using them as grenades. That's what I'm saying. But he, he was pretty close. I loved the finger pointing from Mike Schilt. Man, when he gets when he gets that pointer going and just right in the guy's face, it's like, oh, yeah. I can only imagine he's just saying, you know what, BK? Take this, BK. How about this, BK? Oh. <laughs> that wasn't the umpire's name. Really? Sorry. Really? Sorry. Really? I mean, you're like, you're like hit list number one right now probably for him. I feel like he was more upset with the ump. I do too, to be honest. Put a poll out there. Six, five, seven, he, eight, never, okay. he never pointed at BK. Are you sure? Because I think he did. Six, Actually, five, when he said, it's not your job. There was a finger point. I think there might there, have been. There was a one. finger point. There was one. The umpire got a lot more. Did you hear how more. fast BK was going? So, sorry, sorry, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line. Just trying to move forward here. And one more. No, I'm just joking. We're done. We're done. Who do you think he was more upset with, me or the umpire last night? Because I think it's the ump. I think it's clearly the umpire. Or was he picturing the umpire? Okay. To be fair, you have a little bit of a biased opinion. <laughs> yeah, you are a little one-sided <laughs> on this one. By the way, did you guys hear BT say yesterday he would like to manage against me? Yeah. Well, he saw my question. He saw your softball play too, so he's imagining oh, that no. it wouldn't be I great. Mean, playing against me would be wildly uh that would be profitable for Brad Thompson. Um manage against me probably would be as well, but I was like, "Damn, man, really? 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 Mm-hmm. We're doing that?" Is he wrong? No, he's not. With Alex <laughs> Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Six five seven eight zero zero comfort service text line. Questions and answers coming up in about fifteen minutes or so. Let's dive into the Blues. This Vladimir Tarasenko situation has the potential to get ugly, especially if it drags out longer than expected. Is it actually possible this goes all the way into training camp? Seems crazy to me. It's starting to feel a little more possible. We'll talk about it next on one hundred and one ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Other teams in the league are going to want to go into free agency and they're going to have to know if they're going to make a deal for Vladimir Tarasenko or not. So while the Blues could probably afford to wait until August or September or December, whenever, to make a trade for Vladimir Tarasenko, I got to believe that other teams are going to want to have to settle that sooner than later if they're going to make a deal. That was Jeremy Rutherford last night on the Expansion Draft Show with Alex Ferrario, Chris Kerber, and Joey Vitale. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, I legitimately had not considered that possibility. 
that the Blues would actually drag this thing out into potentially training camp to be able to find the best possible deal. But I think JR makes a really good point on that. Can the Blues afford to do that? Yeah, probably. They could go into the offseason and they could make some moves and they have enough salary cap space that they could figure out a way to finagle things cap-wise. My question is, can other teams afford to wait on Vladimir Tarasenko? Because taking on, even if it is five of the seven and a half million dollars a week before training camp, that is a difficult thing to do for a team. The only way that I think it makes much sense is if they had an LTIR situation elsewhere and Vladdy could come in, they end up needing a score and he's the guy that they decide to turn to. Uh, but the old Tampa Bay Lightning's message. Huh? Exactly. Or if somebody like actually gets hurt. Where they're not just messing with the salary Tampa cap throughout puts the season. Kucherov on the LTIR all season, gets Vladdy, and then Kucherov comes back in the playoffs. Right. Something like Damn. that. If what that were to play. happen, okay, I guess I see it. Mm-hmm. But the only other way that it works is if this becomes a hockey trade later on. And I thought that's something that the Blues would probably try to avoid mm-hmm. because they seemed to be prioritizing the cap space over the return in terms of a player. So where are you at on this? When you heard that from Jr. last night as you're doing the interview, what was your reaction? You know, I I understand where Jr. was coming from, and I totally get where Curbs was coming from yesterday with us of talking about how he could see a scenario where Vladdy comes back to St. Louis. I just don't see it because I'm not I'm not too concerned about Vladdy playing for the Blues again because frankly we know Doug Armstrong he he's got some brass cojones he'll basically tell the player yeah you come back or you don't play and then you're going to get suspended and not get paid we're not going to be affected by it. But how do you sell that to the team? How do you sell that to a group of guys who are trying to go out there and put the effort in all the while knowing that this guy, one, has been outspoken about not wanting to be here, about being outspoken about not being captain, and then the shoulder situation? I just don't see how that works out. But it does tie into with the other teams because right now there were no proper trades for Doug Armstrong before the expansion draft, which is why he exposed them. Now you're going back into it and saying, okay, well, now we're past the expansion draft. And we're in the same problem that we were in before. Now we don't really have a package deal anymore. It's literally just Vladdy. So can you take this into training camp? Yeah. I mean, you don't have to. I think what Doug Armstrong's doing right now is basically telling other teams, you're not getting this guy for a third round draft pick and me eating $4 million. That's not what's going to happen. I'll keep the guy. He'll play or he won't play. But I'm not sure how much hardball that can be played going into training camp because you got an entire team to be concerned about. And you got to make sure that. You know, we're not going into a training camp and making sure that you got one guy feeling this way and then another guy feeling this way. It just seems real difficult to go about, doesn't it? It does. Um, they're they're between a rock and a hard place here. And so this gets into something else that you talked about last night on the expansion draft show. You were able to talk to a former NHL agent yeah. about the timing of all of this and how difficult this could be for the Blues, for Doug Armstrong, and for Vladimir Tarasenko. Would explain to us what, what went into this. Yeah, so this was Elaine Waugh. He's the uh, he's the agent of Jake Allen. He's the agent of a lot of other players. And we just wanted to get the perspective, one, of going through an expansion draft, but then we also got into the Vladdy situation and we asked him you know what do you think of this whole thing and he first started talking about how you know he doesn't like when players bring their surgeries out in the open he said that should be taken internally because it's not only hurting yourself but it's hurting the team that's trying to move you and if you want to be moved it makes a lot of sense but then he got into something that at, to- at the time I'm thinking okay there's nothing to this but then when I left last night I'm thinking man he might have been onto something about how at the time of the trade it seems like nobody wants this guy and you're like well there's what, what are you going to do nobody wants him but if you just wait a little bit, that changes dramatically. Take a listen. We, we have that conversation all the time when it goes to waivers, right? Like guys end up on waivers 
And it's like, okay, well, you made it through waivers, so nobody else picked you. Well, it wasn't always because they didn't want you or nobody thinks you could play. It's usually a matter of there's too many guys on waivers at the same time. The timing's not right. And, you know, it, it, that, that's why I love the stories of the guys who play in the East Coast League and they find their way to the American League and find their way in the NHL because those are the guys who have the presence of mind to say, okay, it's a process. i got to trust it and believe in myself. And if you do that, then it doesn't matter what happens. You know, if the expansion team doesn't take you and you really believe in yourself as a player, you'll find a way. So kind of reading between the lines with this one, and he's talking about the waiver situation. Of course, guys who don't get picked that were exposed, but we talked about Vladdy there. Right now, it looks like nobody wants Vladimir Tarasenko, unless you're going to take a Jakob Voracek's $8 million contract, and you're not going to do that. But what happens when a team just lost a player in the expansion draft that they didn't want to lose, or they can't make the side deal with another team that they wanted to do? Well, then what? Then you go back to the market and you say, okay, who's out here still? Like a great example is Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall is about to sign an extension with the Boston Bruins. Guarantee there's about five or six teams that were going to say, let's go after Taylor Hall. Let's see if we can get this guy. Well, now he's off the market. What do those four or five teams do? You're going to go back to the trade market. And then when you start to get more and more desperate, you look at teams that you're looking at differently now than what you did three weeks ago. And Joey brought this example up last night, which makes a lot of sense. Jonathan Druin. Remember Tampa Bay? They had this guy. This was a third overall draft pick. He didn't want to be in Tampa. He wanted a more extended role. So it was out in the open that he wanted to be traded. And Steve Eiserman's like, yeah, I'm going to trade you, but you're going to get traded when... I feel like it's necessary. When I get something that I want, they held on to him. And he played that season, tried to build his stock up a little bit. Then Montreal comes calling because they were desperate for a winger, and they traded Mikhail Sergachev, who now has been a top four defenseman for Tampa and has won two Stanley Cups. So what I'm saying by all of this is what Elaine was getting after a week ago when they couldn't pull a trade off, and it seemed like nobody's going to go for Vladimir Tarasenko. That's going to change in two weeks when somebody doesn't get the player that they wanted and they call Doug up and say, you know what? We'll give you what you ask for because we need this player right now. What percentage chance are you guys giving it right now that Vladimir Tarasenko plays another game in a Blues uniform? I'm giving it 10%. I think that's about where I am. Five, 10%. There's zero. Zero chance he plays this year for the Blues. You know, I can't say zero because I do know Doug Armstrong and Doug Armstrong is not afraid to say you're going to suit up and you're going to put a good smile on your face and you're going to go out there and play. Reason why I say that is if he's not traded by the start of the season, he ain't playing. Like, I, I just I don't see any way, given what we've seen come out this offseason with the injuries. I don't know how he can go back into that locker room at this point, given That's what he said about the, the captaincy. And like it, it just this would be an absolute mess. If it got all the way to training camp and they've got the right people in in that locker room to be able to maybe make it work like Craig Burby is a fantastic leader and Ryan O'Reilly is about as good of a leader as you could possibly have in that room. Braden Shin would probably try to find a way to smooth things out. I'm sure David Perron would take him aside and have a conversation with him. Just two men, right? And like Vladdy's a professional too. Vladdy would come in there and he would talk with the guys and I'm, I'm I've never been in this conversation, but Vladdy would I would assume come in and be like, look, guys, I apologize for what's gotten out. That's not the way I wanted it to go. Let's just clear the air here. I want to be a part of the Blues until something happens. But that seems unbelievably unlikely to me. Yeah. Like may- maybe maybe I'm going to be proven wrong here the way I am a lot about a lot of things. That's totally that's totally possible. But it seems worst case scenario in every possible way that Vladimir Tarasenko was on this team on day 1. If that ends up being the case, 
I think it would tell you that something went horribly awry this offseason for the Blues because that would mean they didn't need that cap space in any significant way because if he's on the team going into training camp, like maybe you can make that work cap-wise. LTIR, um, he ends up staying away and that cap space doesn't count against you. Like there's there's ways you can make this work, but if he's playing for you, that $7.5 million is there. So now how do you remove that from elsewhere now you've got 10 million dollars to play with this offseason that ain't much man that means that you're definitely not in on landis you're definitely not in on matthew kachuk and the the moves that you're able to make are like bringing back tyler bozak adding one defenseman and then getting a mid middle six type of a left winger i don't know though i i, be, I mean look and this was this was one of doug armstrong's comment earlier today because he talked with the media and he talked about the impact of free agency with vladdy on the books because they know that he's on the books right now and as doug said right now they're planning on him being in training camp as a part of the blues here is his comment about the impact of free agency with vladdy you know the, the cap is is 81 five uh we've projected out what it's going to cost us to keep our our restricted free agents Vladdy's money is is in that grouping, so it, it 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 has an effect. I don't know if it stops you from Gabriel Landeskog though, because you can go into free agency and tell Landeskog, hey, we want to sign you, and if it's eight million, we'll match it if we feel like that's what we want. Now you have an idea of what you can retain for the Vladimir Tarasenko salary. So when you get Landeskog and you know that you got the guy that you wanted, you go to the market, the teams that have called and said, hey, we want you to eat four and a half million dollars of his contract. If you're Doug Armstrong, you go back and you say, you know what, we'll do it, but we can only eat two and a half. And then maybe teams kind of wiggle a little bit. So I don't know if it takes you out of the running because you don't have to be cap compliant until the season begins. So right, if, but if he's on, what I'm saying is if he's on your roster next year, like if we're talking about him actually playing for the Blues in 2021, that $7.5 million is counting against the cap. Well, of course. And that that's where things become very difficult. Like you have $9.5 million basically to work with this offseason if Vladimir Tarasenko were operating under the assumption that he plays for the Blues. That's not enough to do anything of significance if you add Gabriel Landeskog. If you add in his $8 million, you have $1.5 million to do anything. Mm-hmm. Anything this offseason that's adding from outside of the organization. So you're basically going into next year losing Hoffman, losing Schwartz, losing Dunn, adding Gabriel Landeskog, and then some sort of a depth piece. Yeah, I, Bozak is out as well. Like it, it, it's just a, I don't know how much you're able to upgrade your roster if you do it that way. So I, that's why, at least from me, again, I'm on the outside looking in. Doug Armstrong has a much better grasp for this whole situation than I do because he, he knows what the offers are that are available to him out there. It, it seems it's, incredibly unlikely that that ends up being the case. It's very possible that there's a 0% chance, but I'm just going off to the, after the assumption of, of knowing Doug Armstrong. And if he doesn't get what he wants, it's going to be the same as the Drew in situation that I just told you that Joey brought up last night. Steve Eiserman wasn't going to trade Drew in for a fifth round draft pick. He was going to get something for him. Different situation because Drew, of course, was a young player and Eiserman controlled his outcome. But if Doug doesn't have an offer that he feels like upgrades this team and his only option is either to tell Vladdy that you're going to play and you're going to suck it up, that's what he's going to go with. And if Vladdy opts to not do that, well, then that's on him and it's not going to affect their cap space. But I don't think that... For me, I don't know how it would work with a locker room of guys who are really close, and then you bring a Vladdy situation in. Like, it seems like it would get out of hand. 
But I do know that they're all professionals in there. And if they tell Vladdy and if they tell the team, like, look, he's here until we can find a trade, they're going to do it because that's how Doug Armstrong rolls. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 314. Guys, they have $17.4 million in cap space with him on the books right now. They can use about 10-ish for Thomas, Kairou, Bozak, Barbashev. That still gives you 7.4 with Tarasenko on the roster. Well, you're not including Sanford and... They they have his RFA rights. He's probably going to be back. I would I would think uh, that's probably about ten million or two million dollars there. So that that's where you get to the situation that you basically have nothing. If you bring back Bozak on top of those RFAs and Vladimir Tarasenko, the only thing you can go and do is add a, about six million dollars worth of players in the offseason. That that just doesn't seem like the type of offseason that we were all anticipating. Maybe it could still work. And if anybody could make it work, it's Doug Armstrong. He's a wizard when it comes to managing the cap. But everything becomes much more difficult, at least in my mind, if that's the route that they decide to go. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, let's ask Luke Korak about this, our Blues insider. What does he think about the possibility of Vladimir Tarasenko actually shooting up for the Blues again next year? We'll talk to him about that coming up in 10 minutes. Questions and answers, though, coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Insider coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, let's go to the Air Comfort Service text line. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. This one comes from the 980. All right, fellas, I've heard both you and B, or you BK rather, and Alex say on this show that as currently constructed, the Cardinals lineup is not a championship contender. Oh, but man, yesterday, you both said that you are okay having Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, and Dylan Carlson as your outfielders of the future. So my question is, if you don't think that the not that any of the outfielders are the issue, then what would you do to make this a championship contending lineup? Basically, where are the spots that you can upgrade the Cardinals to make it feel that way? I think it's all pretty obvious. Shortstop. And second. Second seems to be the one. Yeah, but second, you have options internally that you can play there. Shortstop is pretty much de young or bust. Because Edmundo Sosa at best is a bench player. Delvin Perez doesn't look like he's going to be anything that you can rely upon. And I mean, Mason win, but you're five, yeah, many years six, away. seven years away. Like that window's going to be closed by that time. So you got a big, you got a plethora of names on the market. You get one of those guys and you place him right into this lineup. That's a World Series contending team in my in my opinion. But that's just not the lineup. You got to fix the rotation as well. Yeah. And right now you got to fix the bullpen because their arms might be exploded by the end of the season. I, I think the number one and yes, shortstop is probably the number one if you look at the lineup. But the one number one for the Cardinals is probably second base. And the reason I say that is because it's going to be easier for them to go out and not and not by a lot easier but go out and get a second baseman rather than it is to jump in that shortstop market i don't see the cardinals being in on any of those shortstops that are going to be hitting the market and Baez, correa uh who else am i forgetting the story that's the other big name uh so i don't expect them to be in on that market at all at shortstop second base is where they could do it and sure they do have gorman but i don't know if they're going to want to wait till gorman's ready they may go out and get someone for maybe a year kind of a stopgap or this season stopgap to next year because I think the more I see Tom Yedman, the less I think he's an everyday player, but I I think he is a great uh, super utility guy that can come off the bench. Tommy Yedman 
if you're looking at his offensive numbers right now, he has the same on base percentage as Paul DeYoung, who we've been saying all year has not had a good season and he has a worse slugging percentage. So he gets on base at the same clip and he hits extra for extra bases at a lower clip. He's got a 670 OPS on the season now. He's getting eerily close to where Matt Carpenter is in terms of his OPS. I love Tommy Edmond. I said at the beginning of the year, he was my favorite Cardinals player to watch early on this season. But for the last two years now, this has kind of been what he's been. Uh, slightly below league average hitter. I think he's a, a plus defender, definitely at second. I think you can play him at short or third if needed. You can definitely play him in the corner outfields, and he does fine out there. He is somebody that is at, at his best as a utility player. I think the the easiest place for the Cardinals to upgrade offensively is at second base right now. I think if you signed or traded for an everyday second baseman, that would be the easiest way to do it. And so what are you doing with Gorman? DH. DH or and That's what I just thought in. of, too. That's what I just thought of, too, was I, I keep forgetting sometimes when we talk about next season that there's more than likely going to be the DH. And probably my thought process because I don't want to who, see who's it. Who's the second baseman that you're going to get, though? Like, there's nobody out there that you look at and you're like, oh, he's significantly better for you. Can I give you an option? I'll give you a hint. He wears blue. Oh, Jesus. Can't get Whit Merrifield, so Apparently, he might be available. Oh, jeez. According to The Athletic... Our boy Jason Stark. Whit Merrifield is more available. That doesn't mean definitely av- available, but more available this offseason or this season at the deadline than he has at any point in the past. That's a controllable, cheap player, though, and you think that's just going to be an easy trade? No, no, not at all. And he's 32 years old, so you're paying for him at the back end of his career, and you don't know what it's going to look like moving forward. This year, offensively, he has not been as good as he has been in the past. The power is not at the same level that it was, but... He's got a pretty decent on-base percentage. He steals a ton of bases. He's pretty darn good defensively for you. Um, This year, he leads the league with 25 stolen bases so far. He would profile as a great leadoff hitter for the St. Louis Cardinals. The other thing you have to remember, he's currently in a lineup without a whole lot of protection for the Royals. Uh, That lineup has not been good this season. He would come in and immediately give you an upgrade at second in terms of what he is offensively. So that if you're looking for somebody, Alex, to answer your question, he's probably the guy. Or you could go get your boy Jonathan Scope. Scope does not make you a World Series team. What? As much as I love Scope. And I love Scoopsies Potatoes, but he's not he's not doing that for you. Scoopsies Potatoes? Yeah, Jonathan Scope's having a good year offensively. That's fine. Batting 275. He's slugging a, percentage right around 470. He's a perfect... What, five hole hitter for this team offensively this year he's been Harrison Bader would you sign up to add another Harrison Bader to your lineup no okay I would consider it I don't know if I'm gonna go all the way with no I just you're not gonna get one of the top guys but I think a guy like Marcus Simeon makes a lot of sense for you I I, is he available yeah, he's a free agent, isn't oh, he? Oh, you're talking about after this year. Okay, yeah, no, I was I'm talking, talking about the, the deadline. Oh, I'm talking about offseason because I'm I, trying to get this team to win a World Series this year. Well, what are you talking about 2022 next year? <laughs> well, you can barely beat the Cubs, so I'm, I'm just being a realist here for you, buddy. I appreciate that. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. All right, here's another one for you guys from the 314. Hey, boys, simple question. Do you think that the Cardinals are going to make the playoffs? Who wants to go first? I I will. I don't. I think they're going to miss by like a game. Unbelievable. I mean, the wild card is what you're chasing for. And I get realistically after Monday, you could be two or three games behind the Brewers. Okay. Wait, I'll wait till I actually see that in terms of the competition that they're playing. But you're, you're going for the wild card, which means you're going for one of the three NL West teams. And I know the San Francisco Giants have dropped off a little bit and you just had a lot of success against them. 
but they've been playing much better than you have all season. And then you got the Padres and the Dodgers. So no, I, I think they miss it by a couple of games. But you know, I'm I'm the jerk. I'm gonna I'm gonna say <laughs> At least you know it. I'm gonna say no for now too. I. I, I I think I said this once we hit July. I, I think the trade deadline is going to determine who wins this division. Because when we talked to Walt Jockety during the All-Star break, he made it sound like the Reds were going to be buying. Now, what they're going to be buying, I don't they're know. They're always buying, but they buy outfielders and they don't buy pitching. That's the thing, though, is I don't know what they're going to be buying. And the Brewers have been willing to make moves. And I think BT mentioned this yesterday on the fast lane. They got rid of some bullpen pieces. Now, they still have their... Their, their version of the big three in Williams and Hayter. Uh, but they got rid of a couple bullpen pieces to get Adamas, who's at shortstop. It'll be interesting to see what the Brewers do. They clearly need a first baseman. I think they will look to add bullpen arms just like the Cardinals. So right now, I'm going to say no. But I do think that you can leapfrog those teams by having a great trade deadline. I can't overstate the importance of this weekend series, not just for the Cardinals, but also for the Reds. The Reds so far have come out of the break and they have lost five of six against the Brewers and the Mets. If you sweep them somehow, find a way to sweep the Reds this weekend, you could effectively put an end to them buying at the trade deadline. That might be in play, especially with Nick Castellanos having the injury right now. You might be the team that kind of sweeps them under the rug in terms of the NL Central, and they decide, you know what? It's better to us to be practical here. Let's go ahead and sell off some of our pieces as opposed to deciding to buy at the deadline. A huge weekend series for the Cardinals. I think they're going to make it. I'm not I'm not jumping off of my bandwagon that I've created. It's like me and five fans that have decided mm, to jump I, on board. I literally think it's just you. I think it's just you also. Because <laughs> even Card- if there were fans that were willing to buy into it, I don't think they're jumping on board with you. Cardinals are seven and a half back in the division. They are seven back in the wild card. I, I still do not really buy that the wild card is a realistic option for this team. They need to win the division. They've got a ton of head-to-head games coming up against the Brewers. I think they're going to be in it until the very end. And I, I believe they're still going to make this, the playoffs. This Red Series I'm with you is going to be super important. And you're going to be meeting maybe their three best starters. Now, their pitching's not that great. And then you're going to be throwing out your three, I don't want to say your three worst starters, but the three guys that you are kind of iffy on, LeBlanc, uh, Woodford, Woodford, Oviedo. Oviedo. They're throwing Molly, who's 7-3, and 3.93. Then you're also going to see uh, Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray. They're so throwing Molly out there? It's going to be tough. That's illegal. It's That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kyle. Pretty I'll stop sure being it's comedians. not legal in Colorado either. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, let's play a game of bet it or forget it. But coming up next, I got to ask Luke Horak what we talked about a little bit ago. Does he see any option, opportunity for Vladimir Tarasenko to be on this Blues team when the season begins? We'll ask Lou about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Right now, very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by one of the best blues insiders in the business. He's Lou Korak. You can find him on Twitter. He's at LKorak10. Lou, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Brandon, I'm good, but my question, if I can get the first one out, Alex, are you okay after yesterday? You've got to be just in a deep depression. Jamie Oleksiak <sighs> is off the board. 
You know what, Are you Lou? Okay? Lou, um, we started a support group. Yeah, I, like yesterday, I was really down, uh, and I tried to fight my way through it. I hosted a show with Chris Kerber and Joey Vitale, and that usually helps. Um, but you know, it's been a rough forty-eight hours, Lou, because we found out that there might not be no Schwarzenko anymore, which was the nickname I gave that great line. And then you just had to rub it in a little bit more that my monster of Jamie Alexiak is no longer with us. So thank you very much. It's been a rough hook, twenty-four hours, Lou. Joy. I'll hook you up with Joy. That's all that? we need, buddy. You know me so well. <laughs> You get me a nice hot salami sandwich, and I am back on board, baby. <laughs> Lou, yesterday, That's all that matters. Like, like, forget the Jamie Alexiak portion of this. It was the announcement of all of the picks at like noon, yeah. basically this time yesterday. That broke Alex Ferrario. It absolutely broke him yesterday. Why? Because, Lou, what's the excitement level for all of this? Lou, don't you get me damn worked up right now. Frank Saravelli just leaking them all, and I got an expansion draft show, and everyone's like, oh, well, what the hell do we want to listen oh, to? That, that's right. That's right. My bad. My bad. I just I just stepped in the wrong – I just stepped in the down the wrong street there. But it's You're okay, right. Lou, because you know what? I know you were listening last night because you sent Absolutely. me a great text, and I appreciate it. I want to I start did. with this. A good buddy of ours, Elaine Waugh, the uh, the agent of Jake Allen. I know he's a good buddy of yours as well. He joined the show last night. Guy, and was, yes. Yeah, he was talking with us, and, you know, he brought up the scenario of – kind of comparing the Tarasenko situation to guys that go through waivers where they're not picked up on waivers and they're like, well, what the hell? Nobody wants me. And he said, he always tells those players like, just keep doing what you're doing. And sooner or later, there's going to be an opening. Could that be something that Doug Armstrong's going through right now that, you know, teams maybe weren't interested in him a week ago, but after the Seattle expansion draft and maybe after some trades, these next couple of days, more teams might start calling. I think so. I mean, it, it, it comes down to, again, you, you want to make sure that the player is right. Now, right. You know, that, that's, that's what this is all about. And, uh, you know, for somebody that would be willing to absorb, you know, not just the player modifications that go with it. I mean, let's face it. He's got 15 a contract that, you know, averages out to 7.5 million AAV. You know, you want to make sure that, uh, the investment that you're getting is, is, is valid one and two, uh, that it's going to work out. It's got to work out for both sides. And for the, for the side, that's going to be absorbing that they don't want to, they don't want to be giving up assets potentially, uh, or taking on risk. If, uh, you know, the, the, the player is not going to be able to perform. And, you know, that's just a big question here. And, uh, I got to tell you what guys, I didn't, uh, I don't know if I'm sure you guys were tuned in to, uh, Doug Armstrong today, but just just hearing him say that he's not ruling out Tarasenko making a return back in a Blues jersey, that one kind of threw me up there. But uh, you know, I I guess we've seen, don't expect or didn't expect in the past, but uh, this one seems a little far fetched to me. I, I I just don't know how you know after finally uh, Doug Armstrong disclosing that the Tarasenko camp did indeed. Uh, you know, ask for a trade and a, you know, a fresh start somewhere else. Uh, I just don't see how you can uh, go back to that at, once that's been out there and disclosed, because to me, that's, that's almost a, I don't want to say a shot at your teammates, but it, it's going to be kind of hard to bring him back into a locker room knowing uh, you basically made that disclosure and don't want to be here anymore. Lou, that's where I wanted to go with you next. We talked a little bit about this earlier today, and I, I was stunned by that statement from Doug Armstrong. And I'm not saying that he's lying. I think Army is trying to gain a little bit of leverage here. He wants other teams in the league 
to feel like they're not forced to make a move because if they are forced, well, then the other team can eventually just like take Vladimir Tarasenko for nothing, or at least that's how they're going to feel, right? So I get that side of things, but the idea of Vladimir Tarasenko returning on this team and his $7.5 million going against the cap for the Blues it just seems in terms of what they're able to do in the offseason to be prohibitive. And then when he gets into the locker room, to your point, I I just can't imagine that being something this team is willing to do. Or, wh- where do you stand on that? No, again, Brandon, I, I don't see it happening. And uh, to be quite honest, I mean, Doug Armstrong would be crazy to come out and, you know, basically – shoot all of it down and say, yeah, we don't want him here. Uh, we want no part of it. If he doesn't want to be here, well, we're going to get rid of him. Those are just, those will just be the wrong things to say. I mean, you, you've got to play this by the vest or as close to the vest as you can get. I mean, because, you know, what if for some reason the Blues don't get the kind of return that they'd like to get out of this? I mean, you, you have to somehow, you know, keep that line of communication open. You somehow have to keep that – asset, you know, dangling on a string, I guess. That would probably be the best way for me to say it because if you completely, you know, and Doug Armstrong was asked if the, you know, the bridges were completely burned and he flat out said, oh, no. So uh, you have to, as a GM, keep some kind of communication there open, albeit whether it's small or light or whatever it is, um, until you actually make that transaction you just can't completely burn that bridge. But uh, everything that, you know, you've heard and everything that we've seen with this whole situation here recently uh, just reeks of uh, the player not returning in a Blues uniform again and you obviously having to turn the page and move on to potentially filling those with different assets. And I think that would be uh, best suited for the blues because again, you know, you're freeing up that cap space, which is so valuable. Now you can actually go out and be aggressive with some of the top guys that are out there, whether it be through free agency or whether it be through trade. Now I think you can open yourself up. If you open up that cap space, you can also open yourself up to more options through trade and bringing in somebody of, of equal value or even more valuable than that. Yeah. I mean, Lou, how does Doug go about that? Because I mean, look with Jaden Schwartz looking like he's headed unrestricted free agency. Although Doug did say that they're still talking with Schwartz and Hoffman and Bozak, you got your restricted free agents who he said, they're all going to get the qualifying offers, but I mean, you still significantly need some type of change in terms of scoring and with or without Tarasenko, I still think that's a desperate need on the left wing with that money on the books, and if you're not sure if you can move them, I mean, are you still in the running for a Gabriel Landeskog? It's going to be hard to do that at this point. I mean, with uh, some of the reports that I'm hearing on what Landeskog wants and what he's looking for, that that would be very difficult to achieve. Uh, now, what you're going to have to do is, is and, and Armstrong mentioned this earlier, at what point, you know, do we start, uh, you know, instilling some of that trust and some of our younger guys coming through the system. You're talking about Jordan Cairo. You're talking about Robert Thomas. He mentioned Clint Costin by name. And, uh, you know, I asked him in regards to the, you know, the whole Vince Dunn thing, you know, do you look in the direction now of filling that through free agency or trade if you don't feel like you have anything through the pipeline that could come up and fill that void? So there's a lot of questions that, uh, you know, Armstrong and and the management staff is going to have to uh, attack here. And he also said it doesn't have to be addressed here in the next couple of weeks is what they want to avoid 
making is a mistake out there. So they're going to do their due diligence on this, and rightfully so, as they should. But I think this Tarasenko thing needs to be addressed. I would say, if you're looking at a pecking order, that's probably the one that needs to be addressed uh, one way or the other rather quickly here. That way you can get some sort of an idea of what you're going to be facing going into free agency next week because that, that's a pretty large cap number to either have or don't have as you're addressing uh, July 28th. Blues insider Lou Korak joining us for another few minutes here on 101 ESPN. Lou, I did want to ask you, one of the big moves that we've talked so much about this offseason is Matthew Kachuk, and it, it feels almost kind of crazy that this is still a conversation point, but if the Flames are going to entertain it, then we have to as well. Do you feel like that's a move that would have to be made at some point in the next week or so, or could that last longer into the offseason as well? I think that's one that would last longer because I think on the flip side from the Flames, uh, you know, you're talking about a star player. And do you want to just get rid of him? Just and I don't want to say just to be get, getting rid of him, but do you? I think that's a situation where they probably want to do their due diligence as well. What can you fetch and from who for a player like that if you're even entertaining those trade options? And uh, I think if you're the, if if you're the Blues, you'd be crazy not to look into it, but. I think that's one of those where if you can make that happen here in St. Louis, and I'm sure this city would go crazy if it does, and uh, there's a lot of people that would uh, love for that to happen, but uh, if you do that, it, it would probably be a trade of a broader spectrum. Now, let's let, let's just say, for example, if you use Tarasenko and something like that and are able to achieve that, it's probably going to involve more pieces, and I think one of those pieces that you could have put into a trade of, of that magnitude as Vince Dunn, but obviously he's gone now. So you're going to have, you're going to have to, uh, who knows? I mean, you could also probably look at, you know, making a third team involved in this, that could also be a possibility. So many different ways that this can go, but bottom line is if that's an option for the St. Louis blues, I think you'd be crazy not to look into it. Lou, we're going to be following it all on Twitter at LCORAC10. You can also check him out on NHL.com and the In The Slot blog. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today after a busy day yesterday. We'll talk with you again soon, my friend. Anytime, boys. Take care. Lou and I expect that joyous hot salami sandwich (laughs) soon for how you treated me today. I'm looking forward to it, Alex. (laughs) See you, buddy. Take care. It's Lou Korak, our friend, joining us here on 101 ESPN. It's 1214. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Man, it, this whole situation yesterday just got that much more complicated for the Blues. And as we kind of go through some of these scenarios and talk them out loud and try to figure out, okay, what are the possible uh, manifestations of how this all takes place? I don't know if this is likely. But it almost feels kind of like the Nolan Arenado thing where all offseason we're like, why aren't the Cardinals making a move? Why aren't the Cardinals making a move? And then in like, what was it, February, I guess, they finally make the move for Nolan Arenado and you get the big one that everybody was waiting for. If the Blues could somehow, and I'm not putting a past army of finding a way to do this, if they could somehow fool everybody into thinking, yeah, okay, I guess Vladdy's going to be back next year. And then Vladdy is shipped up to Calgary because he's like, uh-uh, no way. I'm not I'm not playing for this team next year. And they're able to put together a package that includes Vladdy for Matthew Kachuk. That feels like the most army of all army moves. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does. Uh, it was funny. Down goes Brown, who's a really good follow on social media. 
you know, he uh, he put a post out. He quote tweeted. Remember that five team trade for James Harden this past yeah. year, where like everyone was involved, and he quote tweeted it, and he said, "NHL GMs, you know, we had five months to try and come up with a trade, and we couldn't figure it out." And then he said, "NBA GMs, dot dot dot, a five team trade." But if you're if you're talking Vladdy and you're talking a big move like that. That's what it's going to come down to. It's going to come down to you bringing multiple teams in with this. Somebody's going to have to accept some salary cap. Another team's going to get Vladdy, and then the Blues are going to get a piece that they can build off of. We're going to talk about this next hour, but I also think Blues fans need to come to the realization that there this could be a, a, a take-a-step-back year. And we talked about this last night in the expansion draft. I, Curbs and Joey discussed it, and I kind of was like, man, I don't know how you sell that. But you might have to come to that realization if Laddie is going to be here next year because I don't know what other move you're going to make. Oof. We'll talk about that coming up in the 1 o'clock hour. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, it's my favorite topic of the day, Harrison Bader. Looking good out there again for the Cardinals. We'll get into that at 1230. But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Bet It or Forget It. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. Let's start with this one. You knew that I was going to start with the Harrison Bader question. We're going to talk about him a little bit more coming Enough up here in about Bader 10 minutes stuff. or so. Jeez. Bet it or forget it. Man, if you're betting 350 over the course of a month, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about you. <laughs> you deserve do. your kudos. I did think. he go four for four last night? That's my question. Because he didn't. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, three hits, Nobody man. did. Could, three he, hits of the yeah. game. He was I great. Think, I better. think we Go take the whole four. segment to talk about how great TJ McFarlane has been. No, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, better for waste it. of my time and your time and our hey. listeners' time, and that's more important. Harrison Bader will be the Cardinals' leadoff hitter by the end of the season. Better to forget it. Forget Alex. it. Okay, they're not taking cool. Carlson out of that. And I get Bader's hitting well. Why would you take a guy who's hitting well in his spot and put him somewhere else? I don't understand that. Hint, hint, Matt Carpenter a couple of years ago. Oh, let's make him a three-hole hitter because he's hitting so well in the leadoff spot. You officially broke Matt Carpenter, whomever moved him out of that leadoff spot. So, no, I'm not moving Harrison Bader. Forget it. Keep him where he is. Let the guy go mediocre three for four and miss out on going four for four, and we'll be happy. I can't believe you just said mediocre I know. three for four. Seriously, he didn't even react. He can't be listening. I'm, I'm I don't think not, either of us listen to each other on this show. I'm not responding to the nonsense that you speak about our guy, Harrison Bader. He is our guy. This is a Harrison Bader fan club on I, this show. I have hopped on board that Harrison Bader bandwagon. He's fun, man. He's I'm a good not, player. But I'm not touching it. Keep him where he is. I, I think he will. I, I think the Cardinals will put him at leadoff. Some, you said to finish the year? Yep. I'll bet that. Have because fun breaking the Cardinals. Carlson's, Carlson, Carlson has kind of struggled in the leadoff spot. He's kind of getting going again, but he had, I think it was a one for 20 or one for 19 stretch there. I think Carlson, you could view more as a two hole hitter. He's a good kind of gap to gap guy. You have Bader lead off. Maybe he gets on base. Carlson puts the ball in the gap. Then you get a Bader home where he gets a third. And then you've got Goldie, Arnato, O'Neill. So yeah, I'll bet it. And Bader hits lefties well. And he since he's, has career highs in average and slugging against breaking pitches, I wouldn't have a problem putting him at the leadoff spot and with his speed, too. So I'll bet it. Forget it. It's not happening. They're going to keep him where he's at right now. And they should. And you guys know how much I love Harrison Bader. He is having success batting at the bottom of the order right now, and he should continue staying at the bottom of the order. And I know that sounds counterproductive, and I'm typically the guy that says put your best hitters at the top of the lineup. I'm not changing anything 
with Harrison Bader right now. For whatever reason, it seems to be working. I really like uh, Edmund going into Bader. I really like Edmund batting seventh and Bader batting eighth. That's what I like to see right now because of the speed that you have at the bottom of the order in your lineup. T-Bone, I hope you marked that time down because we need that cut a little bit later on today. That's the end of the show. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to see Bader in both situations. How many times yesterday? I think it was twice. We saw Edmund go first to third on a Bader hit. That was a Bader move. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it, boys. The Cardinals will have at least five relievers that belong in the circle of trust by the end of the season. Are you freaking kidding me? Of course. (laughs) Bet it. But the uh, the other two that will be going in are probably going to be moves at the deadline. Probably ain't going to be guys on this roster. Yeah, as soon as they make a move, T-Bone's going to be putting them in the circle of trust Let me rephrase that. I could see Helsley working his way back into the circle. Other than that, I don't know if anybody else could. Miller I think this is really like a question a of do you think the Cardinals are making a trade? Yeah, bet it. I think they'll add two They're not arms. getting two guys, though, that I'm going to put in the circle of trust. Have you become a guy that just wants to throw people in there? No, are you serious? Well, you just said that we could get there. I know I did. I said it's a question of do you think that the Cardinals oh. are making a move? Yeah, no, I'm, to me. I'm, I'm, no, I don't. I'm, I'm forgetting this. I don't... I, I think we might have two guys in the circle of trust by the season's end. Whoa. Someone's going to fall out of that circle Whoa. of trust. No, come on. Watch now. Hey, your if Gallegos hits more people, oof, no. might he's, be falling he's out. Fine. He's fine. What if his arm falls off, PK? Oh, that, would be, have to remove him. that would be problematic. No, he's probably pretty good left-handed, though, still. I, I'm very interested to see what happens with the Nationals. They're 45 and 50 now. They've struggled to open up the second half of the season. If they end up completely falling out of this thing, and that's going to be hard to do because they've got three games coming up against the Baltimore Orioles, who are not very good at the baseball <laughs> thing. They develop pitching well. They do, but they're not very good at this baseball thing right now. True. If they struggle in this series and then continue to do so in the next series against the Phillies, which is a head-to-head competitor for that spot in the National League East, they've got some arms that would look really good in a Cardinals uniform. Some of their guys that are coming out of the back end of their pin – They can help the Cardinals. Brad Hand would look great in a Cardinals uniform. Daniel Hudson would be a fantastic player for the Cardinals to go out there and acquire. If you could get both of them, yeah, that's how you get to five relievers in the circle of trust. But I don't know how realistic that is. So I'm going to say forget it because I I don't think they're going to make that kind of a move. I think there could be other guys that could bring in too, like a Michael Givens of Colorado's put up a decent season. Maybe a Ian Kennedy, if you like an older veteran experienced guy that you could go get from Texas. I don't think he'd cost you a lot. I don't think Michael Givens would cost a lot because they're both kind of rentals. I could see the Cardinals doing a rental move for the bullpen. I don't know if if they make a move at the bullpen to reinforce it. I don't know if it's necessarily a, oh, we need a guy that's controlled for next year, too, because they can go spend money in free agency. And neither of the guys that I mentioned, I believe, are controllable. I think both of them are free agents. I think those two are going to be a package deal, kind of. Lefty, righty, that way they can maximize the value of those two guys. Makes a lot of sense. But Michael Givens on a different in Colorado than Ian Kennedy in Texas. Two guys, two different trades. Mid-level prospect, why not? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 217. Better to forget it, Paul DeYoung is still the Cardinal shorting st- starting shortstop in 2022. I'll bet it. Cost-controlled. You're not going to go sign one of those big guys despite me feeling like you might need one of them. 
I just don't see what you're going to do. I don't see who could take that spot from you because I really feel like Tommy Edmonds going to be headed towards the bench as an everyday player kind of back and forth. So I'll I'll bet it Paul DeYoung will be here next year. I'll bet it too. The cost control is going to be the big thing. You're not going to spend big in free agency. The trade market's really thin shortstop wise outside. Those big names are going to be hitting the market. So I'll bet it. And Paul DeYoung has looked better of late. I'm curious to see how long it sustains and then if he can build upon it from this year to next. Totally agree with that last part of what you said. If he's able to, he doesn't have to continue hitting 320 like he is so far in this month. He's got a 950 OPS in July. It's damn good. He doesn't have to be that. If he can just be 770 or above in terms of his OPS for the rest of the year, I think that will give the Cardinals enough confidence to put him out there as a starting shortstop again in 2022. You don't have to love it. I get it. If you're a Cardinals fan that's frustrated about it and you're you're sick of seeing that he has a good half every year, I get that completely. But they are committed to Paul DeYoung as their starting shortstop. And I think he he would at that point, if he continues to sustain this a little bit, he would deserve getting another opportunity to show them that he can capitalize on it in 2022. One thing I am curious to see, and they've done it back-to-back nights. Now, I think it was just double switching because the pitcher spot was coming up is if they're going to start going to Sosa late innings as a defensive uh, well, they've defensive done it replacement, three games. they have, and Sosa made that great play last night, and I don't know if DeYoung makes that play. I don't think I don't his think range is as good as his. and we, we saw haven't, the throwing air. Yeah, and we haven't seen him play as good defensively as we have in the past, so I wonder, and that doesn't affect 2022 because you have Sosa there, but I am just curious to see if they're going to start doing that more as the season progresses. I think they will, and I think they should. I think it's the right move. I mean, sometimes you see this with great hitters that are in the outfield, right? You'll, you'll see a guy that's kind of a no name come in late in the game as a defensive replacement used to do it for holiday all the time. Absolutely. And I, I think you could see that um, next year with Paul DeYoung as well. Somebody on the text line adds a, another important part of this. Paul DeYoung could become an interesting candidate to be the DH next year as well. If you end up having, I, I don't think it's going to be an everyday thing, but once a week as a DH with maybe you throw Sosa out there at shortstop, give you a little bit more of a glove out there. I think that would make a lot of sense. And the other thing is Paul DeYoung has a lot of fatigue issues over the last few years. That's a way to get him off of his feet every once in a while as well. So I think it definitely is a way that you could make that thing work with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up next. Harrison Bader deserves all of the kudos for the way that he's played of late. And Adam Wainwright had maybe the greatest compliment you can get from a guy like Wayno for Bader. We'll let you hear that next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. in the air into deep left center. Bader back at the wall. He's got it. Oh, what a catch. Harrison Bader. He robbed him. And the fans are loving it. Bader, left center. Base hit. The game is tied. DeYoung will score. And Bader, three for three. And we're tied at one. It's cool to see him kind of turn a corner offensively, though, and become this total player that he's coming to be. It's really neat to see. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Harrison Bader after the game last night, audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. We've got to give him his credit where it is due. At this point, Harrison Bader has an OPS up in the eight. No, right around 1,000. 
for the month of July. Since his return, he's batting 360. He's playing gold glove defense. We saw it early on in the game yesterday where he was able to rob the home run early in the game. He's becoming a legit all-around baseball player. And Alex, after the game last night, you heard a piece of this in that return. Adam Wainwright was asked about Bader's development as a player in St. Louis, and I thought this was about as high of a compliment as you're going to get from Adam Wainwright. You know, he's not just hitting fastballs anymore. He's hitting off-speed pitches. He's driving the ball to the opposite field occasionally, and uh, the guy that does that is a tough out. He's covering the he's covering the whole plate a lot better than he used to, and he's taking those pitches he used to swing at in the dirt and outside. So it's cool to see offensively him do that but you know when he's in the outfield he's he's a he's a game changer he's a total game changer out there he the one of the best if not the best center fielders in all of baseball in my opinion and uh, just does a great job so it's, it's cool to see him kind of turn a corner offensively though and become this total player that he's coming to be it's really neat to see total player he's a total player right now he is impacting games defensively at the plate on the base paths. And yes, there was the mistake last night. He should not have tried to leg out that single into a double. He didn't come out of the box fast enough to be able to do so. But that's part of it with Harrison Bader. He is a super aggressive baseball player that plays with his hair on fire at all times. And Alex, I think it's time that we we give the credit where it is due. His strikeout rate is half of what it was a year ago. His walk rate is staying up where it was a year ago. He's batting 275 right now on the season. If I told Cardinals fans at the beginning of the year that this was going to be the type of season he was going to put together in late July, I think everybody would have signed up for this. Let me give you some names because I looked this up last night because I knew you'd be gloating about Harrison Bader, and I figured why not jump on board this bandwagon? Why not get on shotgun with this bandwagon? Tommy Pham, Randy Arozarena, Tyler Naquin, Charlie Blackman, Dom Smith, Jock Peterson, Eddie Rosario, Guriel Jr., Michael A. Taylor. Are you naming every outfielder? I'm naming a lot of outfielders that he is better. He has a better slash line and OPS as. And for me, that's that's where those the first two names that I said were where I was like, oh, okay. I'm really on board with this because the two names, Tommy Pham and Randy Rosarena, yep. everyone was saying, what are you doing? You lost these two guys. These guys are game changers for you. Now. Overall in their career, will Harrison Bader be better than these guys? I don't know. Is it a couple of months? Yeah. But overall numbers right now for Harrison Bader, slash line OPS, he's better than those guys. Defensively, much better than these guys. And in terms of influencing and impacting games with his energy on the base paths, his speed, much better than these guys. Is he a three-hole hitter, a four-hole hitter that's going to make you a World Series contender? No, but he is a complimentary piece that, in my opinion, you have to have. And his play from since his return from injury back in late May up until now has proven that. And it's probably a little early for me to kind of throw out this comp. I heard BT say this on postgame last night on Valley Sports. He said he's kind of he's starting to kind of have the, the signs of like Colton Wong's development. Whereas I'm That's goal, who Mike uh, Schilt comped him to after the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm he's a glove guy first and then he's going to develop his offense it reminds me a lot of Yadier Molina too when he got called up to the bigs he was a defensive catcher and then he was able to work his tail off and work on offense and I think we're starting to see that with Harrison Bader I I think we've seen little increments of it and now he's finally hitting that stride he's going to make that next big step the strikeout rate's the big one for me cutting it in half and then him hitting off-speed pitches for a career high, that shows me he's making the adjustments, and that is huge for this Cardinals offense. 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, if, you, if you're so high on Harrison Bader, then why wouldn't you want to get him more at-bats instead of bearing him eighth in the lineup? 
I totally understand the appeal of getting Harrison Bader up in the lineup for the Cardinals right now. I really do. But I just want to see him consistently have success. It's kind of like the other day with Johan Oviedo. And I know this was a question that ended up kind of getting a little bit more reaction than expected. But I thought it was the right decision by Mike Schiltz to take him out of that game after he had pitched a successful game. That, that's fine. You want him to continue having some of those feel good, uh, those good feelings about him and to leave the game with the chance to win. I feel the same way about Harrison Bader right now. This is working. What you have right now with Edmund and Bader at the bottom of your order is working. So why would you switch this right now? If it continues to sustain this way for the next month, maybe you try those guys higher up in the lineup once again. Maybe it is some sort of a platoon between those two at the leadoff spot and the other one bats eighth and you kind of work it that way. That's fine. I got no issues with that, but I want to see them both continue to have success before we try to move them up into the lineup in a place that's foreign to them right now. Why, yeah. why, 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 why switch something that's changing well, and that's, or that's working? That's where I'm at. If it's not broke, don't fix it. And, and for so long, we've been sitting here saying, oh, Harrison Bader, he's not the guy we thought he was going to be. He's supposed to be the leadoff hitter. Yeah, it sucks that you lost a guy who was a leadoff hitter and Tommy Edmond hasn't panned out to that. And we don't believe that Dylan Carlson's that guy. But I'm not going to break a guy who is hitting so well right now at the bottom of my order. And I know that you want him to be a guy who gets more at-bats and gets on base more and he could score more runs for you. But leave him where he is. Because the one thing that we have criticized this Cardinals team all season about is the fact that you have guys that are impactful in the middle of the order in Arenado and Goldschmidt and Carlson. But when you get past those four in Tyler O'Neill, you don't have anything. And now you finally have somebody who makes you pay and can turn singles into doubles. And I know we've talked about this a few different times, but with Bader's development offensively, what we've seen basically all year, really, from Carlson, he's had his ups and downs, but that's what you expect out of a rookie. He's, he's been kind of as expected. And Tyler O'Neill has been as consistent as anybody on the roster. You have your outfield for not just this year, for the next couple of years at a minimum. I've asked this question of you guys at times in the offseason, at times earlier this year. I will do so again. Can I interest you in a Harrison Bader extension yet? Like, is that something you if the Cardinals announced this offseason, we have signed Harrison Bader to a five year extension worth 40 million dollars. He has two years left right now of arbitration, makes two million dollars this year. So you'd expect that to be like two years, 12 ish million, something like that. If they announced five years, $40 million to buy out those two arbitration years, is that something you would be like, yeah, that makes sense. That's a good move for the Cardinals. If it's five by eight, yeah, I would do that because, I I mean, that's that's a pretty decent contract for a guy that when you get higher up in those arbitration years, if he continues to play this way, you're probably going to be looking at somewhere between five, six, seven million dollars in arbitration for him. So you're probably buying out a couple of those free agency years. Well, you will be buying out a couple of those free agency years and you got a dependable center fielder who's going to probably be in the running for gold gloves if he can stay healthy. And now if this bat has turned the corner, yeah, I do that deal. I'm not doing the 10 by 10 that you wanted to originally do. I I don't think I'd do it yet. And the reason I say that is because... Well, this guy wouldn't have given Tatis Jr. the extension. Right. So. I wouldn't have. We'll see how that pans out still. To, Seems to be playing pretty, pretty well. damn good right now. <laughs> no, we'll see if his shoulder stays in place. That's been that's going to be the big thing in that contract. Right, uh, whatever. I, I, I look at Bader, and though I, I've talked about, you know, it looks like his adjustments, they're panning off. He's hitting the breaking pitches now, and he's cut down the strikeout rate. 
I mean, he's only been in 37 games this year. So it's a very small sample size, and that's kind of why I'm hesitant on wanting to give him an extension. I I think the terms of that would be pretty good. It's just I want to see if this is going to continue because what's going to happen is before long, pitchers are going to adjust to whatever Bader's doing right now, and we'll see how he handles it when we start to see that turn. Now, if he can continue to do this for the whole season. I was about to say, to clarify, I'm talking about in the offseason. I'm not saying right now handing him this, but if he continues, if he ends up this year batting 250 with uh, the OPS plus that we always reference, where it's a scale of 100 is league average, and anything above that is that percentage above. If he's at like a 105 to 110 OPS plus at the end of the year, that's that's what I'm referencing. Yeah, I I will, again, I will wait. I want to wait and see through the full season. Right now, I just would say no, just because I want to see what happens the rest of the year. If he's at that 105, 110 mark OPS plus, no, because that's technically below what he was last year. And again, I get it. It was a shortened season last year. But if he has an OPS plus around, I'll say 115 to 125, somewhere in that range, then maybe I consider it. And again, I'll have he's to look at <laughs> Right now, he's sitting at 126. So uh, I'm watching a WRC Plus that's 114. So I, God, I, just, see, I'm I just had the nerdiest moment. I didn't even know what the hell just happened. <laughs> oh, well, I'm looking at a WRC Plus right now. And then, oh, okay. Well, I'm looking at a WRC Plus minus right now. <laughs> that was the nerdiest thing I've ever said Jeez. in my entire life. Like, Regardless, what the hell just happened? Forget all of that. Like, if he if he ends up performing well offensively, forget the number. If he, we all look at it objectively like right now he's performing well whether it's a 125 110 whatever it is he's performing well offensively if he continues doing this I'm signing up for that I think it would be a super smart thing for them to do and the reason why is because much like the Colton Wong contract who you compared him to earlier you're always going to be able to trade him on that type of a deal if you decide three years from now hey you know we really love our other options in center field somebody develops or there's somebody that becomes available via trade or free Lane agency. Thomas Whoever it is, probably not. Whoever it is that's down in the minors right now, then you could always decide to move that contract. Steven Piscotty is another contract that was similar to that, where that was never going to prohibit you from doing something else if you decided that there's something else out there that can upgrade your roster. So I would be interested in it. But again, you're right, Tanner. You need to see this for another two months before you decide to do anything like that. Tanner, you were just told you're right. That no, never happens. Good. I think I've heard that twice today, actually. Yeah, you must be drinking today on the job, BK. With Alex Ferrari, I'm Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon <laughs> Kiley. Coming up in 15 See minutes. How we glided right past that? Vince Dunn is gone. What? What does that mean for the Blues decor? Who? We'll talk about that in about 15 minutes. The junk drawer is next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario, you are going to be the lead on this segment, my friend, because you are a stud muffin. What do you have for us stud today? Stud muffin just like uh, T-Bone over here, right? That's right. Those posters that were put out. And my inflatable hot tub. Oh, I'm glad you said hot tub. I thought you were going to say inflatable something else. Anyway, you guys play video games back in the day? Of course. Back, in the, back day. in the day. I know T-Bone still does because he's, he's like 12. I still play that dog care game on the Nintendo, you know? What? The dog what's, care game? What's that game called? Do you uh, have one of those little pocket things where you keep the animal alive? Is that what you're talking Nintendo about? And there's a dog and you, what you are take you care of it. What are you talking about? Dang it, what's you, that game the called? The Sims? No, not The Sims. Say, that's not dogs. It's people you take care of. Well, while he looks up some weird game that he played oh, when he was a little kid. A pet care? <laughs> pet care. Thank oh, you. My. Maybe. 
the hell is Pet Care? It was the littlest pet shop pets. we used to play at pets. home. That's, what That's a called. movie. Pets. Anyway. With a Z. Did, you either, did, did any of you guys ever play Super Mario N64 video game? Yeah, of course. Do I look like I'm like 80? So oh when God. you played it, you basically missed out on $1.56 million. I saw this. This was insane. So this video game, Super Mario N64, sold for $1.56 million because it was still in its original case, never opened. What? Yes. I could not believe this. Then there was another one that sold two days later, The Legend of Zelda, sold for $870,000. What? I own both of those games. What's Goldeneye worth? That was the best game. Oh, that was the best game for by far. But, like, I don't know. Here's the thing that gets me. Yes, it's a lot of money, but how the hell do you buy this game and never open it? Lost this it, was pro- yeah, this was probably a mistake. Oh no, it was a, it was in a case. It was in pristine really? condition. They basically That's talked smart. about the person who sold it talked about how they bought the game. They knew Mario was already a sensation, and they figured it would be worth something down the well, road. That's like uh, the people that collect. Like I'm just going to throw out a famous franchise, Star Wars. Collect the Star Wars figures, yeah. and then you don't play with them. You just keep them in the box. You keep them in the box. They're going to be yeah, so But I valuable. feel like a lot of people do that. This had to have been this is super a video rare. Game. Like you don't buy a video game and not open. It, right? Yeah, but I don't th- think that's you buy why I feel a toy like and not open it. I mean, that's I think how there's I a lot it. of people. Some like people Beanie do. Baby, remember Beanie Babies? Oh, there were yeah. a lot of people that yeah. did that. Even the ones that you would get at like McDonald's, or yeah. people were like, yeah, you could you could save these forever. I had to be worth a bunch of. No, they're I not worth a, anything. I had a great aunt who kept uh, who collected Cabbage Patch dolls, and she used to put sure. them all in one room. And when you'd stay over there, it'd just be like hundreds of Cabbage Patch dolls staring at you. It was freaky as hell. But anyway, so like that upset me more than anything because, like I said, I went home after I read this story and I looked at the damn video game. It's like you could have been worth one point five six million dollars. But my stupid self had to open you and play you like, I don't know, four times. By the way, Tanner, apparently it's Nintendogs. So you clearly spent a lot of time with this game because you you said it was five different names. Hey, (laughs) you guys, you guys were kind of making fun of it. There's a lot of text with that Nintendogs, by the way, a lot of different text. So it was very popular said it's called collecting ferrario yeah action figures pokemon cards collecting not a damn video game i've never heard of this uh i gotta be honest I, one, this is a new one 1.5 million dollars million dollars diddy kong racing did you ever play that please man you were talking to a guy who spent all of his time in front of video games that's why i can't read well <laughs> That's what did it, huh? Yeah. Super Smash Bros. Oh, yeah. GoldenEye was the best video. You cannot convince me that there is another video game better than GoldenEye. Uh, Diddy Kong Racing was no. the best one for a for a group. Yeah, like if you got if you got a group of people coming over, yeah, that was play, the go. You play Mario Kart before you do Diddy Kong Racing. No, Diddy Kong Racing, man. No, you you must have played terrible video games. But again, <laughs> there is no go to better game. than GoldenEye. Do you guys remember? I think it was the quarterback club was on. Uh, no, is that like N64? the baby? Is that like the babysitters club? T T Bone probably watched. The yeah, babysitters quarterback club, club ninety eight. It. it was on N sixty four. That was like the first ever football game that I played. Yeah, I was a little after the. Uh, Wait, what year the was early- this? Nineteen ninety eight. Is that the year you were born? No, that was the year before Someone I was born. Someone from 314, those nerds that paid for those games probably still get more Tinder dates than Tanner's. <laughs> wow, 314. Not cool. Hey, if I had a million dollars, I would man. definitely have Tinder dates. That was ice cold. Ice cold. MLB The Show 21 is the best game ever. Get okay, the hell out of here. Come on.
get the hell out of here. And you know what's on? What's your favorite console that you ever played? N64. I still own it. Do you? Yeah. I still have. I wish I still had mine. I wish I could just hang out and play Diddy Kong Racing every night. That was a good life, man. You were seven years old, chilling out. Hey, man, once you have a kid, you don't even touch it. I think all of my consoles are getting dust built up on them right now because I haven't been downstairs in forever. That checks out. This texter gets it. Goldeneye, no odd job, slappers only. It's how you play the game, 618. It's how you play the game. I think I would probably go N64 as well. Tanner, what was the first video game console you had? PlayStation Did 5. Because I'm guessing had... you never had that, right? The N64? No, no. Did you have a Dreamcast? Do you uh-huh. remember the Sega Dreamcast? He had Ping. The first one... The Pong? First one. Was it Ping or it Pong? Pong. Oh, <laughs> that thing. I know. Same thing. The first one I had was a PlayStation 2. and then I Because I, I remember playing that when I was like 3, 4, and then I remember by about the time I got to 6 or 7, we got the PS3. And then now I've got the PS4. I so. used to give those. So I would give it. I start with the PlayStation and then I'd get the PS2. I would just give the PlayStation away. You remember game? Uh, was it GameStop? Yeah, GameStop. Yeah. You take the stuff in and you'd sell it. And you yeah, get for money $3. For, oh, yeah. The I game used, you just bought for $75. I bought it's a PlayStation for 2 for, or for $300. The PlayStation 1 was $150. You take it into GameStop. And like, yeah, we'll give you 20 bucks for it. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. what the hell? And then they'd flip it and sell it for 200 yeah. bucks again. It was amazing. They have such a just great highway robbery back in the day. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 618. Guys, I have Diddy Kong Racing, and everybody from this show is invited except for BK. Yeah. Where'd it go? Also from another texter, 314, BK, don't be an idiot. Mario Kart all day. Diddy Kong Racing was stupid. I'm putting this on the poll. At BK Sports Talk. What are you doing to your what? Better racing game. Diddy Kong Racing or Mario Kart? I'm going Diddy Kong. I got Taylor, you're not, allowed, you're not allowed to vote in this because you were not hey. even born yet when these were played. Hey, what's <laughs> come on? That's not fair. I'm By the way, to- Tony Hawk Pro Skater yeah, is another all, one that we've got to mention. Those here. are all pretty incredible. That, Grand that was Theft Auto one. was a fun game um, Need for series Speed. to play. I never one? did Need for Speed. Really? I was never Need in a racing game. I remember something Need for oh, Speed. Oh, you, you played that? Were you like Need for Speed 27? Yeah, basically. <laughs> Someone said N64 Goldeneye was the best. Imagine if that was for PS5. I think they're remaking it. Which one was? P- Goldeneye. Really? I think they're remaking it for like I think new I consoles. That, too. that would be incredible. Man. Man, I just had like a nerd out moment here for a minute. Now everyone's talking about Mario Kart yeah. and talking about Goldeneye. And I want to go home and play it, but I got to watch my baby. <laughs> Wait, she can play with you. No, she likes to puke oh, and poop. She doesn't want to sit and watch the game. She what? wants to be played with and puke. Well, multitask. You'll get there. Uh, Timo, will you come over and babysit for me? I'm going to post this on, me? No. on Twitter. No. Better racing game at BK Sports Talk. I'm, Diddy Kong Racing or Mario I'm, Kart? I'm telling you, it's going to be Mario Kart's gonna It's going to be Mario Kart by a long shot. I'm not. <laughs> Someone feeling... said Mario Kart all day. What the blank is Diddy Kong? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Go play line. the damn game. Where do the Blues stand now with their decor <laughs> since Vince Dunn is gone? We'll talk about it next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I have a lot of unpopular opinions. A lot of unpopular opinions. We have an open for his unpopular opinions. It's kind of my thing. It is your thing. The one that I just shared in the last segment where I said I prefer Diddy Kong Racing to Mario Kart so many, 64. So many people are texting in saying, what the blank is Diddy Kong? <laughs> I put it up on the poll at BK Sports Talk on Twitter. 
Alex Ferrario. You can follow him at Ferrario 101 ESPN. And Tanner's on Twitter as well. At T-Bow 101 ESPN. waxed, vaxed, and ready to mingle. More enjoyable multiplayer racing game. Mario Kart or Diddy Kong? It is currently 98% Mario Kart. Yep. Do you know how hard it is to find anything that has a 98% approval rating? Frankly, like in life right now, nothing is 98%. Frankly, I'm surprised it's done 100%. The 2% that voted on Diddy Kong, well, I'm not sure what BK kind of, voting on his own poll. true. Created his own account. Unbelievable. May, the second one may have been his burner. So that's not going my way. What did go the Blues way yesterday is that Vince Dunn was selected in the expansion draft. Now, that might not have been a best-case scenario. You probably would have preferred to see uh, Vladimir Tarasenko go in that draft. But Vince Dunn was probably a close second. The Blues knew, and we all knew, he wasn't going to be back with them next year. It was either going to come via trade or via the expansion draft. And now he is going to go up to Seattle. We'll see if he ends up there. But for now, he's a Kraken. Someone said that someone gave the team a new nickname for their fans. They're crackheads. Okay, come on. K-R-A-K. That was bad. No, it's not bad. That's what it is. Where do the Blues stand now with their defensive core, Alex? Are they in a situation where they need to continue to add to that group, or is that more of a want this offseason? I would say say it's a need. I think the Blues view it more as a want. Because if you look at their core right now, and Doug Armstrong talked about this earlier today, your right side is set. It's Colton Pareko, it's Justin Falk, it's Robert Bortuzzo. Those are the three guys on the right side. They'll be playing. And then you got the left side. You got Tori Krug. You have Marco Scandella. And then you have three names that are going to be playing for one spot. And Scott Perunovic, who he said is healthy and will be there in training camp. Jake Wallman, who was playing a lot last season. And then Nico Mikola. So I don't know if it's a necessity. I think it is because I think you need to get more aggressive in front of your net. And it was frankly too soft this past season. But I think you also go to it and you say, okay, well, do we want to overpay? Do we want to pay $4.6 million for a Jamie Alexiak? I would. But I'm not doing that. Ryan Suter reportedly has a lot of people interested. Probably not going to see that happen. Alec Martinez is already discussing with Vegas, but he might hit the market because he wants more money. It kind of takes him out of the running. You, I think you need a guy like Carl Gunnarsson. You need a guy who can step in, play 20 minutes a night on your top pairing just as much as he can play 15 minutes a night on your bottom pairing. But I think that's more of a want than a necessity for the Blues. I think that's how they view it as well. And you can believe that's right, wrong, or indifferent, but I think that's where the Blues' perspective is on this. They trust Marco Scandella. They think they have somebody in Tory Krug that can play up and down the lineup if need be, and they like him on the power play, of course. And I think next year is a big year for Nico Mikola. He's somebody that this team is going to need to take on a bigger role. And when given opportunities last year, I kind of liked what he brought to the table. He is somebody that can, at his best, be the type of player that you're talking about, Alex. He's aggressive. He can be physical at times. He can do all of the things you're talking about. Just needs to be more consistent. Mm -hmm. And that's the trouble of developing a young defenseman. Jamie's talked about this so much. It's hard, man. That is a really difficult position to develop at the NHL level. He's 25 years old. He's still a very young guy that just needs more experience. Can he become a top four pairing defenseman? I don't know. But he can definitely be a third pairing defenseman for you. And I think that's what the Blues are probably going to count on going into this season, at least as of today. So as you're looking at what their group is right now, that's probably it. Now, that being said, this is all kind of in tandem with something that you guys talked about last night on the expansion draft show, which is 
what are the Blues doing in 2022? And what I mean by that is where are they at in their lifespan as an organization? Because we've talked so much about this championship window that the Blues have said internally and publicly that they are in right now. Does that still exist? Are they still in that, especially with the Vladimir Tarasenko stuff this offseason, with the possibility that Matthew Kachuk, maybe he's not traded this offseason, he becomes available next year for you, and that becomes somebody that you want to go out there and acquire. I thought it was interesting when you, Curbs, and Joey were talking last night about the possibility of taking a little bit of a step back next year to take a big step forward the following season. Here's what it sounded like. Could you potentially take a step backwards this year? to set yourself up for next year even more. I mean, and and I'm saying that that's not, that's not all that unrealistic of a thought. Does that affect the window, though? No, well, well yes, well, sure it does. If you take a step back this year, that means you have one more year to win before Ryan O'Reilly becomes an unrestricted free and agent. Right. Right. I know you can keep one. I don't know if you can keep both. So that's why, to me, are, is there enough out there come in with fewer question marks? And I don't know if there is. I don't think that you can take a step back. I agree. Because to me, that's saying, oh, well, we'll be competitive next year and we'll take this year off. And I just don't know how you sell that when you gave this championship window. And, yeah, the window changed when you lost Petro and when Bo retired and Steen and then Gunnarsson. Like, it, it changed when you started losing all of these defensemen. But you still have a roster right now that you can be competitive with. It's just a matter of going out there and finding the right move. Now, easier said than done, right? Like, it's so easy for us to say, well, go get Matthew Kachuk and trade Tarasenko to Calgary. But it doesn't work that way. But for for you to sit here and say, well, let's just, sit, let's, let's just kind of fill a, a hole right here this season. Compete in a central that might not be as tough as we thought it was. Make the playoffs. Maybe make it past the first round. Maybe get bounced. But then go really big next year. When Matthew Kachuk is available. When some of the money is off the books. When you could figure out a clear picture for Vladimir Tarasenko. Then let's go hard there. But then you're... As we talked about earlier this week, you're another year removed with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. And as Joey mentioned, you're probably not keeping both of those guys. And Colton Pareko, don't forget, is a free agent Pareko's going to be getting too. a big contract extension. Then you kind of are a year into Braden Shen. You got these restricted free agents. I think you have more of a challenge if you take a step back and then try and upgrade the year after. Because, yeah, you get Matthew Kachuk, but what are you doing elsewhere? Because that's another year of these younger players that you're trying to figure out. Um, to me, if you take this step back this year, I think that's what Nashville's doing. They call it a competitive rebuild. You have the pieces in place, but you have to figure out how to negotiate your way out of some of the bad contracts. And I just don't know if that's going to be a selling point for fans if you say, well, we're going to try and be aggressive this year, but we're going to really go for Matthew Kachuk next year. I don't think you can do that. I just... I. Maybe I'm wrong here, but I think a lot of this is kind of dependent upon what they're able to figure out, what they're able to do with Vladimir Tarasenko in the offseason. And I think they're going to be able to find something for him. And if you can, well, then now you're able to do all of the things that we were talking about 24 and 48 hours ago. All of these those things still are on the table for you. Gabriel Landeskog still out there. If you want to go out there and make a big-time move for Matthew Kachuk, if Calgary's open to it, you could still do that this offseason. If neither of those two become options for you, well, that's where things get interesting. Because the one way that you could maybe convince me of this is in this scenario. If your option is either go out there and sign 
one, maybe two of those kind of middle six forwards, mm-hmm. maybe the Brandon Sod type of a Blake range that we're Coleman. talking about. Yeah, the the guy that's going to cost you more than you want to pay. He's going to be five or six million dollars over a five or six year contract, and you don't want to sign that deal for that guy because they're probably not worth all of that. And the other thing that it does is by signing that deal for that guy, you're probably taking yourself out of the Matthew Kachuk sweepstakes next offseason. If that's the decision that you have to make right now, and you also know in your heart of hearts that Matthew Kachuk will be available and will be a blue next offseason, it's the only scenario in which I think I could understand why they would decide to take a step back. Then my question to that would be, do you really believe Matthew Kachuk takes you from a team that had to take a step back to becoming a cup contender? Because if you say this year with a roster that you have in place and say you're a Matthew Kachuk away from being a cup contender... Well, then why not find a piece similar to Matt? Like, I just don't think Matthew Kachuk is the end-all, be-all changing of the tie. At that point in time, I'm I'm with you. I think you just go get Gabriel Landeskog. I agree. Just, just pay what it's going to cost. It's going to be super expensive. It's going to require almost certainly, given how many teams we've now seen are interested yeah. in him, a no-move clause. And if he tells you no because he wants to go somewhere else, maybe he just wants to stay in Denver or he's got – a spot that he's eyeing that makes more sense for him. Well, that's that stinks. And that's sometimes the reality of living in the free agent life. But I would want to tell it, make him tell me no before I go that go down that yeah. path. I just think if you're if you're if you sit here and say, look, we we don't think we want to pay the money for Gabriel Landeskog because he's 28 years old and it's a lot of money to commit. We don't want to be, have bad contracts tied up. So we're going to just go this year. We're going to try and fill some holes with some younger guys, maybe a free agent here, and then next year we're going to go for Matthew Kachuk. To me, I think you're going to have more contract complications in that year because of O'Reilly and Perron because you're going to lose one of those two. You're not keeping both of those guys and getting Matthew Kachuk. You're a year extra into Braden Shen and Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. How do those younger players look? Is there an injury that popped up? What about Jordan Bennington, Colton Pareko's big contract extension? I just think you have so many more complications. And if you're in a window, I think you want to just chase after that window as much as possible. And you never know. Maybe the Gabriel Landis guy keeps that window open a little bit more. Or maybe the Gabriel Landis guy makes something clear when Matthew Kachuk is available. But I just don't know if going after one player turns you right back into a cup contender that a lot of people are thinking it would. Yeah, I just, I would never want to punt on a season. No, that's where I'm at too. I mean, you you mentioned this yesterday to, to me and Tanner. The Blues were one of, what was it, three teams that had a completely different expansion protection list this time around yeah. as they did last time with the Vegas Golden Knights. It was 2017, there were three teams that had completely different protection lists. It was the Blues, Ottawa Senators, and Detroit Red Wings. Things change so quickly in this league. And that Ottawa protection list, go back and look at it. It was a cup contender. I mean, it had some incredible players on it. You just can't punt on contention years. And the Blues, for all of their faults, and I know last year was a a weird year for them, coming out of the pandemic, maybe they just weren't a pandemic type of a a team. They needed the crowds for whatever reason. Pareko now hopefully going to be back 100% healthy. You've got, you had so many injuries that played into this last year as well. Hopefully you're going to get Sonny back. Like all of those things, set them aside for a moment. You're in the middle of your window. Mm -hmm. And I cannot believe in my heart of hearts that this team would be willing to throw one of those years one of those the 20% of your window, you'd be throwing it away by doing this. I just, 
I don't get the sense that that's something Doug Armstrong would want to do. Someone just texted in 314. Kachuk is twice the player Landis Gaga is. ROR would be getting less money in the next contract. Same with Perron. First of all, no, he's not. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly is still one of the best centers in the National Hockey League. Maybe he's not making $7.5 million, but he's going to be making somewhere damn near close to that. Perron is still going to require... I mean, if Perron goes out and has himself another 30-goal season, he's going to want some type of money that's close to what he's making right now. And I understand Matthew or Matthew Kachuk is an incredible player. I mean, he's had a 34-goal season, 77 points with the Calgary Flames. But Gabriel Landeskog has had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of his eight contract or seven of his of the last eight years, he's been a 25 or more goal scorer. That's consistency, in my opinion. And you said this the other day. Games played, 81, 82, 75, 72, 78, 73. You know where you're getting? You're getting a guy who who basically never is out of a hockey game. Yeah, I think what the reason why I would prefer Kachuk is less about what they are now and more about what they will be five years well, of from course, now. Because you know? Kachuk's 24 years old right now. Absolutely. And the reason why I say that is because if you're looking at the production that either would give you in 2021 – I think it'd be close to similar. I probably still would prefer Matthew Kachuk, even in the here and now. But I don't think that it is so vastly different that Matthew Kachuk would be a significantly better player for you right now than Gabriel Landeskog would be. If this is a matter of punting on 2021 to get Kachuk because you think he's that much more of an upgrade, I just don't see it that way. Um, The upgrade would be for 2026 and beyond because you're still going to have Kachuk in his prime at that point. Whereas Gabriel Landeskog at that point would be out of his prime and entering the uh, latter portion of his career. From the 507, Kachuk is Diddy Kong, Landeskog is Mario Kart. Okay. That's unfair to Kachuk. Matthew Kachuk would be like Super Nintendo Mario Kart. Landeskog is Mario Kart 64. Frankly, like... See, this is this is I, actually a correct text because Diddy Kong is slightly better. No, I think Diddy Kong would be like, I don't know, Tyler Pitlick. Or something like that. Oh, come on. Get out of here That's, that's that. Diddy Conley. Nobody cares. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Tanner asked us, it doesn't happen often, an interesting question last night. Wow. No, he didn't. Are the Cubs and the Cardinals similar in terms of this, the type of a team that they are, the caliber of a team that they are right now? We'll get into that in about 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, the biggest story in sports over the last 24 hours is college football. It is about to change forever again. We'll tell you what it is next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. College football is about to change forever again, Alex. Whoa. Yeah, it's true. First, we had the uh, NLI, the name, image, NIL, rather, name, image, and likeness changes that took place. Alabama's quarterback, who has not started for them yet, is making roughly a million dollars this year off of that. That ticks me off. (laughs) Oh, I had a feeling that would be the case. 21-year-old making a million dollars, and he hasn't even played a damn game yet. Come on. Is this so bad? Isn't that a good thing? No, it's 
not a good. Thing. I'm happy for the kid. I hope he ends up having a super successful career and everything goes well for him. You and I are on different wavelengths. I had a feeling that would be the case on that. <laughs> uh, college football changed from that perspective, and now it might be changing once again. There were reports that emerged yesterday that realignment could be coming again. Now, the first time this happened was 2010, 2011. It The result was Colorado, Nebraska bolting from the Big 12. Uh, You saw Colorado uh, added to the Pac-12. You had Nebraska going up to the Big 10. And then, of course, Mizzou and Texas A&M both ended up joining the SEC in 2012. This time around, it is Texas and Oklahoma leading the charge. Oh, yeah. Horns up, baby. This is a seismic shift for the landscape in college football. And I think these are the two teams that needed to lead the charge. If we were going to see the second round actually win, we were going to see the second round of realignment because Texas basically determines when the big 12 is going to fold. If this happens, if Texas and OU leave, the big 12 is done. There's no way it will continue as we know it. And it will be, I think, in my opinion, you're going to see four main conferences that have 16 teams each. And then those 16 teams will be divided into two divisions. And that's the way that things will ha- uh, happen moving forward in college football. Again, it's a potentially seismic shift. And Alex, after everything that I read yesterday on the reporting from this, I think it's going to happen. I think in the next five years, you're going to see Texas and Oklahoma leave the Big 12. And I think both of them will be added to the SEC. So then what happens to the SEC then? Because I know you said you, you're going to get 16 teams per conference. And the mm-hmm. SEC obviously becomes bigger and becomes more competitive. But we've spent so much time this offseason from college football talking about expanding the postseason play and making yep. it more impactful. If you make the SEC larger, does that still play into the playoffs being bigger? It's really interesting. I I think the natural way that you go about this, I told you before, I thought eight was the right number. Right. This is why, because I always thought that we were headed to this direction of four quote unquote super conferences with six teams, 16 teams, each eight teams per division in those conferences. And the way that I would like to see it done is the winner of each division plays in the conference championship game. And that would be included in the playoff. That is your quote-unquote first round. So you've got eight teams that would make it, two from each conference in the conference championship game. And then you move forward from there. Because then it does make the regular season matter in a way that is super meaningful. If you win your division, you get to play for the postseason. That's how you get in. Is that unfortunate for some of these teams that are in really good divisions? Yeah, And you're going to have some teams that would get left out that way. But that's the way that I would do it. I'm super curious to see what they decide to do with this. Yeah. Another way that you could do it in the same way that I was just talking about is you do have those eight teams that win their divisions go to the playoff. And then you have four quote unquote at large teams. I think that's another way that you could make it fair where if you're in the SEC West or whatever, and you've got Texas, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, all of those teams in one division, you might get three teams out of one division in any given year. But this this is going to make them have some of those conversations. Do you try to realign the conference then too? Because like I'm thinking here if, oh, you, for sure. if you add OU in Texas, because I wonder if that makes life a little bit, I don't want to say easier, but a little bit more competitively advantage for Eli Drinkwitz and Mizzou if you realign those conferences. 
Maybe. There's so many different. So the way that a lot of people are talking about this, I don't want to get too into the weeds, but they're talking about having pods within the division. So you'll have a conference. Let's do it from an individual conference scenario. And let's talk SEC, for example. And that conference would be divided into two divisions. So mm-hmm. you've got eight teams in either division. And then within those divisions, you would have pods. So you'd have four teams per pod in those divisions. So you'd have two pods in one division, two pods in the other. You would play all of your pod every year. So it would be you versus those other three teams. And then you would play the other pod from your division every year. So that's seven of your games every season is going to be from your division, right? Mm-hmm. And then you would rotate on the other division. You'd play one team from each of those two pods, and that would be your conference schedule. There's your nine conference games that you would play. It would require realignment. It would require Mizzou to potentially end up in a really tough setting, depending on who they would put into their pod or division. But this is the way that college football is going. I'll say this, too. If it does happen this way and the SEC comes becomes more competitive and more difficult of a conference with all these teams coming in. This happened at no better time than having a guy like Eli Drinkwitz at the helm. Because like if I, if I'm going into a tough conference like this, which is already a tough conference, but you add more competitive teams, then I think I want a guy who not only is getting better at recruiting or has been awesome at recruiting, but also knows how to sell his brand to all of these teams in terms of a competitiveness. So he was talking about this earlier today. He stole the show. Surprise, surprise. Eli Drinkwitz is is like uh, the new Steve Spurrier in the SEC. The the Jeopardy guest is a real thing. Like he just goes out there, dominates. He's great. He was asked about SEC expansion earlier today. And here's what he had to say. This guy is just such a great quote. First off, you know, like I tell recruits all the time, we're the best league in college football and everybody wants to play there. And now you got two iconic brands that want to join too. Uh, and it's, just, it's an exclusive club and not everybody gets in. So good luck, uh, especially if A&M has anything to do with it. A&M's going to be the tough part. Texas A&M wanted to join the SEC to get away from Texas. And now Texas is banging down the door to try to get into the conference. He also was asked about a potential rivalry that could exist because Mizzou, of course, has a a deep history playing against Simo, (laughs) Oklahoma and Texas. Here's what he had to say about that. I kind of like the rivalry we got with Arkansas. I mean, I don't remember the last time they beat us. So I kind of like that one and the battle line rivalry. I mean, it's pretty good for us. So. Crud, I think we'll just keep that one right now. Also, let's appreciate the fact that Eli Drinkwitz just said crud in the middle of an <laughs> SEC media day. Like, that is gosh dang material from say, Mike Schilt. Some Mike Schilt there. Gosh dang. By the way, uh, somebody on the text line says the pod would probably be Mizzou, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Texas. Oh, I agree. Clear I think cut winner in that pod then. I think that's probably what you would see for the pod for, for Mizzou. I, I think that would be okay. I mean, you, you would probably. Love that. Most years, you would not beat Oklahoma. That's just the reality. Nah. But there would be some years Sam Bradford's where you've got a shot. Anymore. Don't <laughs> they, think about Baker. They have a pretty good coach down there. Uh, this this is going to be something that is worth monitoring over the next couple of weeks. Uh, from some of the reporting that's out there, it sounds like Texas and Oklahoma are ready to tell the Big 12, hey, we're out of here. Whether that means going to the SEC, Pac-12, Big 10, whatever, we're definitely out of the Big 12, and that's going to have some huge ramifications for that conference. I'm fascinated to see what this means for the other teams in that league, too. KU probably ends up in the Big 12, I or excuse me, the Big 10. I don't know who else the Big 10 would take. 
Because that's the other conference that's probably the number one choice for most of these teams that are going to get left behind. Iowa State maybe makes some sense geographically, but they don't really add anything else to the conference in terms of what they bring to the table. So I, I'm fascinated to see what ends up happening here. But Texas and OU are the top two choices from the Big 12. If that's the conference that's going to be decimated by all of this and for the SEC to be grabbing them. Man, there were some arguments that you could have. Maybe you're a Big Ten fan and you think the Big Ten plays the best football yeah, in the they land. Do. If Texas and OU were added to the SEC, Can't there is no more argument. There is no more argument. Not the cool. SEC will be by and by far the best college football conference in the country every single season. And I'll say it again. I like who we have at the helm of Missouri Tigers then for that because uh, he's already showed you that he's able to sell the SEC and him at Mizzou, and I think that gets even better when you get more teams wanting to come into it. Can you imagine Oklahoma versus Alabama every year on CBS in like mid-October? I mean, the, the the matchups that you'd be able to get out of this are just unbelievable. Sorry, I'm watching Blues hockey at that time. Okay. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll cross things over with the fast lane in about 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, Tanner brought up an interesting question yesterday. What, what does it mean that the Cardinals and Cubs have played such close games in this series? Are these teams more similar than we would like to believe? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. Crud, I think we'll just keep that one right now. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Last night was a tough loss. You know, it really was. And, and uh, you know, you're just sitting there going, oh, we just, we can't lose this game too. Like, we just can't lose it. I mean, I know there's a lot of games to be played left too, but... You know, losing two games in a row um, where you had them right on the ropes would have been really painful. So I'm glad we got that win. The clubhouse is rocking right now. That's where we needed to be. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Adam Wayne right after the win last night. Cardinals got a much needed win against the Cubs. The problem is a lot of these games between the Cards and Cubs have been very close. And Tanner brought up something interesting last night. Should we be learning something from the fact that the Cardinals and Cubs are playing such close games right now? Are these teams closer than we would like to believe? The Cubs are about to start selling. The Cardinals, we would like to believe, should be buyers moving forward. But if the Cubs are selling, doesn't that indicate that they're not a very good team? Yeah, kind of does. So if the Cardinals are close to them in terms of what they are overall, it's a little problematic. Tanner, do you believe... What you're trying to sell to the two of us, that these teams are incredibly similar. And what does that mean for the Cardinals if you do? I, well, first off, yes, I do believe they're very similar. Looking at like the numbers and stuff like that, and even with just my eye, the eye test, they look similar. We see a bunch, bunch of bad defensive plays we've seen in this series from both sides. We've seen uh, some bad base running from both sides. We've seen kind of a lack of offense from both sides. We've seen some poor pitching from both sides. Uh, So in that terms, yes, they look about the same. The only difference that I see, though, is that the Cardinals have their pieces that you're looking towards next year while the Cubs are kind of selling off. Is it problematic that these two teams are very similar to each other? Yeah, because what it tells me is that for the Cardinals who say that this is a we're not going to sell it tells me that they are very far away from being that contending team that they want to be because what have we talked about with the Cardinals? The Cardinals, what the holes are, we think the bench, they need help in starting rotation, and that they need help uh, in the bullpen. And the Cubs are selling off pieces, and you're playing at the same level as them. 
you're not going to acquire all three of these pieces this year. So it, what it tells me is that not that this season's lost by any means and that you can still go make a move and maybe take that next step, but it just tells me it's going to be really hard for the Cardinals to kind of get separated from this Cubs level. Now, granted, the Cubs are going to sell off their pieces and they're going to really tank. The Cardinals aren't going to follow them down at yeah. that level, but they may stick at that mediocre line. We heard BT say it on the fast lane. I believe it was on Tuesday about the way the Cardinals roster is constructed now. It's a 500 team. Well, it's going to take a heck of a deadline to not be a 500 team, in my opinion. I look at this two ways then. I say, are the Cardinals in, similar to the Cubs now or overall? Because I truly believe if they were healthy, I think they'd be better than the Cubs. That's a great point. With Flaherty, with Michaelis, with Hicks, I'm looking at this team and saying they're a better team 100%. But the fact that you're looking at it now without those pieces, and look, even with those pieces this season, I don't know how much better they make you because they're not going to be 100%. I think it's horrible that you're that close with the Cubs. Like, you cannot have that. You traded for Paul Goldschmidt. You traded for Nolan Arenado. You drafted and grew these three outfielders and you passed on Colton Wong who's having an unbelievable season for Tommy Edmond you stuck with Paul DeYoung and this is what you're going to do you're going to be on the same level as an underperforming Chicago Cubs team that said they're going to sell that can't happen if you're trying to sell to the fan base that hey this team is trending towards a World Series and that's our goal You can't have that, man, because you have to be significantly better than a team that is going to trade away all of their superstars. I think what we're learning is what life is like in the middle. Because are the Cubs similar to the Cardinals? Yeah. Are they similar to the Reds? Yeah. I mean, they're built in different ways. I want to be very clear. But in terms of what the overall results are, those three teams are super similar. You could go out to the National League East. Those teams are all very similar to the Mets and the Phillies and the Braves and the Nationals. This is what I was saying before the season. There's a, at that point in time, there was a clear-cut top two. It was the Dodgers and the Padres. Now, the Giants have kind of emerged, and they've joined that group of teams. But then after that, it's a mess. And right now, the Brewers look like they're at the top of that second tier. I don't know if that's going to sustain. I just Maybe I should be believing because they have three legit top-end starters. Those three guys at the front end of their rotation are fantastic. But I just don't believe in their offense. And I think at some point that's going to have to catch up to them, but I could be wrong on that. I think eventually the Cardinals are going to kind of be more similar to that group as well. So when you're living in this muddled middle, yeah, it can be super frustrating because you do have holes on your roster and you've got things that are going to be potential fatal flaws for you, both in the regular season and then certainly in the playoffs when you go up against teams like the Dodgers, Padres, or the Giants when they're at full health. But I do think they could make a move or multiple moves at the deadline to be able to catapult them up to the top of that second tier. Are they similar to the Cubs right now? Yeah, I think Tanner's right on that. They are. I mean, we've seen it over the last couple of nights. These teams are eerily, eerily close. But I think the Cubs are about to go on one trajectory, which is the wrong trajectory. Bad, not good. The Cardinals are about to go on the other. I think things are looking up for this team when they get Jack Flaherty back, they get Miles Michaelis back. Hopefully they make a move at the deadline, and now you're going to start having a little bit more goodwill here in St. Louis as a result of that. You hope so. And I think that's a lot of hopes and ifs. Yeah. And I mean, that's I mean, that's what we lived off of with the Blues. Right. And I just you can only do that for so long. And I understand that's what you do when you're I mean, you're dealing with athletes, but you're also dealing with humans. And this is what happens when it comes into play here. But you just you've spent so much time in that middle ground over these last few seasons 
telling everyone that, you know, Tyler O'Neill's the real deal. So is Bader. So is Carlson. And then you go out there and you make the significant moves for the cornerstone pieces. But then it doesn't come to fruition. At some point, you can't just keep doing the same thing and say, oh, well, these guys are going to pan out. At some point, you have to say, "Not they're not going to work. We need to figure out a new plan. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. This is an interesting point, but I do have a little bit of a rebuttal for it. From the 314, the Cardinals played very close games against the first place Giants as well. Why didn't you use them as the comparison? I did talk about how I thought it was very important that the Cardinals were able to we talked about how it was important that the Cardinals were able to win some of those games against a first place team now we do need the disclaimer Giants were not at full health in that series you also need the disclaimer that it's not just about any three game series or six game stretch or whatever the Cardinals and clubs if you or Cubs if you look at the numbers overall for the season are very similar on the whole as well over the course of 95-plus games. They are very similar in just about every offensive category. Rotation-wise, very similar. In the bullpen, they are very similar. Defensively, they are very similar. They have a similar makeup. I mean, they have a couple of aging vets that have been overperforming. I mean, I'm talking about Yadier Molina. I'm talking about Adam Wainwright. You have a rotation that doesn't have any star power, although the Cardinals do have Jack Flaherty. And they have bullpen. But the difference to me is that offense is contributing with guys that you're not expecting to contribute. And you haven't gotten that in terms of full capacity yet from the Cardinals. The other difference is the contracts. Like that That's probably the single biggest difference, honestly. If the Cardinals were in the same place contractually that the Cubs are in, we'd absolutely be talking right now about them selling. It'd be totally different conversations that we were having right now. Like if, let's say Paul Goldschmidt was in a walk here, we'd be talking about him potentially being a piece that you would deal at the deadline. But he still has multiple years left on his deal, so that's the opposite of what we're talking about. And the the Cubs are the opposite situation. So I think that's a, a significant part of this. But the biggest thing, why we didn't talk about them as much um, with the Giants, is just because on the whole, the Giants' numbers this year are really good. The Cardinals are kind of more in that middle range for most of their numbers, and that's where the Cubs land as well. So it's not just any individual game or any individual series. It's also what they've done as the season uh, has progressed. I will go back to it, too, that if this team had Flaherty and Hicks and Michaelis at full health, I don't know if we'd be having this conversation about them being too similar to the Cubs. I'm with you guys. I think with Flaherty, I think they would have been about where they were, which was about six games above 500 when they lost him. Totally agree. And then when you add Michaelis, I think you can add four or five. So I think that this roster with Flaherty and Michaelis, and it's hard to tell because they had some of the position players hurt at times too. They never had their ideal lineup till like this month. Um, I think this roster, the way it's constructed, if they were completely healthy, is maybe a ten games above five hundred team. Yeah, it's a ninety one team, or and so. I, I don't, and that's about where the Brewers will be. Maybe a little bit worse because I think the Brewers are a little bit better than we're giving them credit for. Uh, but I, I think it would be about a ninety one team, ten games above five hundred or so. Yeah, if you got everybody back full health, I think this is a ninety one team, and I think that's what the Brewers are. The only, the only thing you're missing on this, if you're at full health, is a bench bat. You're missing a bat that can help off of the bench. I'd like to see a left handed bat in the outfield. That's something that I really think they well, who this are you team taking could out of the use. Then. Nobody, but I'd like to see a bit. What Carlson's Good a point. left-handed bat. He's yeah, a switch hitter. Hey, he hits from the left side. He doesn't does. He, he does also technically hits from do that. The right side doesn't he? That's fine with me. Just stay on the left. And side. Tommy Edmonds technically a, a switch hitter as well, but he actually just hits with his right. See, I don't like side. to call him a left a wow. switch hitter. I like I like to call them a fifty percent left just, hitter. You're just going to ignore that like subtle swipe there. Yeah, I mean I I'm love Tom. You guys know Tommy Edmonds one of my favorite players. I think he should. I, I think there's going to come a point in time when they have to consider using him only as a right-handed hitter. It just it, it doesn't really do all. Saying he sucks like, on the left side. 
he does. Hasn't been, has not been very productive this year for him on the left side. Nice professional way of saying that. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we're going to give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see the Black Crows. Where else can you do that this week? <laughs> Probably BK and Ferrario. Other than on 101 ESPN. We'll also cross things over with the fast lane here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over with the fast lane here in just a second. But Maybe. right now, we've got your t- chance to win a pair of tickets to the Black Crows. It's next Saturday, July 31st. It's at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. How do I get tickets? They're going to be playing Shake Your Money Maker in its entirety, plus all their other hits for <laughs> tickets to see the Black Crows shake, shake, are shake, on senora, sale now. Shake it all. I thought oh, Ludacris sang that song. You can also find your chance to win tickets for the Black Crows right now at 101ESPN.com and the free 101 mobile app. If you are, text your number 6 at 65780. That's the Air Comfort Service text line. And you can tell us what the two Nintendo 64 video games were that we were arguing about earlier today. If you can really name those two, the two video games at 65780 and your texter number 6, you will be the winner of a free pair of tickets to see the Black Well, you Crows. should show us what the percentage is on the poll to see if it really was an argument. So on the poll, uh, I put it up on my Twitter account at BK Sports Talk. More enjoy racing game let's see if we've got these in well one of them got 93 percent stop delaying the inevitable 93 percent well if that's the way you're going to try and sell this bk then it must have been a crazy turnaround because it was 98 to 2 percent in favor of mario kart so diddy kong did it have just a a immaculate turnaround seven percent yeah no nobody cares about diddy kong racing come on better than this anthony stalter will back me up he's a video game guy i'm sure time to cross things over with the fast lane and anthony stalter's (laughs) in studio stalts what's good man the face i'm a video game guy The face you just made when i said that was like oh nope nope no he's not i haven't played video games since college i enjoyed it i haven't done a lot of it since college yeah it's you know it's so funny when i wish i could but i was i I played too many responsibilities yeah now we got a house yep I played Madden. I loved Madden. Madden on the PS2. In Did you college. play Quarterback Club? I feel like you were of the age that maybe you played that. No, no, nineties. No. Okay. Quarterback Club. Yep. What's that? N64. It was the nineteen ninety. I think it only came out with one game, if I'm not mistaken. It was like the comp for Madden, basically. Gotcha. It's a good one. No, no. But it's the weird. It's the weirdest thing. A couple of years out of college. I still played a little bit, and then all of a sudden I'm like, uh, no, I'm just done, done with it. I'm done with it. Yeah. And I never, I just never went back. Once I got done with college, I just, like, I have them all still, but they just sit in my basement, and occasionally if I have, like, an hour or something, but it's so rare yeah. now. I got buddies that still play. They'll sure. kind of schedule time with the wife and, you know, the kids being down for the night or whatever, and like, hey, I'm, I'm going to play video games on Thursday nights or whatever. You know, but I told I myself when we had a kid, I'm like, oh, yeah, when she goes to bed, I'll still stay up and play until like one in the morning. Yeah, no, I just go to sleep. bed when she goes just to sleep. bed. sleep, yep. 9.30, baby. It's 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 lights out. <laughs> Stoltz, I know you are a big college football guy. The big story coming out of college football over the last 24 hours is Texas and Oklahoma apparently are looking to leave the Big 12, potentially uh, going to the SEC, or at least that's what they want to do. 
What was your initial reaction to this story? And I, I don't know if you guys are going to get into it at all for the show, but if you are, feel free to tease it. But what was your initial reaction when you saw this? You know, what's going to be left of the Big 12? That, that's my that's my my reaction. I mean, when you're talking about a conference that will feature Baylor and Texas Tech and Oklahoma State and Iowa State, like those those programs are are solid, but we're not talking about the money makers. The two money makers in that conference are Texas and Oklahoma. Texas specifically because yep. of the Texas Longhorn Network. So if they're going to join the the SEC, do do you just do away with conferences altogether, or do you reform the conferences? You know, is it is is having the conferences in a specific region does that matter, or do you want to have kind of like your elite conferences and then kind of break it down in tiers? That that's my initial reaction to that. On top of you know Texas. You sure you want to join the SEC? You haven't you haven't been able to to dominate. And I loved I love Texas. I really do. I love that burnt orange uniform. Mm, I love the, the white the helmets. Whites are great. They're great, man. I I'm a big fan of Texas. But Texas has not fared well in the Big Twelve. Since how, Vince Young. How it's are been you going to fifteen years, man? How are you going to do in the SEC? You know, Oklahoma's well. a different story. Oklahoma's been going to to playoff. They have not done well when reach when reaching the playoffs. But at least they have competed at the highest of levels. We know how this works, though. It ain't about the com- competition. It's not about, it's about football. It's, about, it's, about, it's about the money. Mm-hmm. It's all about the money. And Texas and Oklahoma probably see the writing on the wall. Hey, this is going to 16 team conferences before too long. And we need our seat at the table. And right now, they can pick where they want to go, would be my guess. If they want to go to the Pac-12, I bet you the Pac-12 would welcome them with open arms. If they want to go to the SEC, other than Texas A&M, who will absolutely say no, I'm guessing the rest of the SEC will be like, yeah, let's go ahead and add two of the best programs in all of college football two of the biggest fan bases in all of college sports we'll go ahead and do that because they'd be the two biggest quote-unquote free agents on the market it makes a lot of sense but i just didn't think it would happen this quickly yeah the texas longhorn network i think their contract runs for the next 10 years i think it's through 2031 if i'm not mistaken i thought at the end of that we would see the disintegration of the Big 12. I didn't think this could happen at some point in the next few years because when these things happen, they happen pretty quick typically. It's not like you're, oh, yeah, we're going to leave the Big 12 in 2026. It's not typically the way that these things go. No, not at all. We'll see what happens. We'll see what what the NCAA does, right? I don't know how much power they have in any of this. Well, they're certainly getting stripped left and right. But, okay, we'll see see what the better – let me rephrase. We'll see what the conference commissioners do. Like, do the conference commissioners get together and say, okay, before you do that, Texas and Oklahoma, why don't we, why don't we realign here, you know? And wh- before we put you up for a catastrophe, why don't we try and make this a little bit easier yeah, for you? Right. Again, maybe you kind of, you re-tier things a yeah. little bit. I don't know. I it, think where we're heading is four conferences with 16 teams each. And my question would then be, like, what is that? Tanner asked this earlier. Maybe it was Alex who asked it. What does this mean for the college football playoff? That was a great question. wasn't a good question. Because if 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 we're staying with the 12, it doesn't make a lot of sense with those conferences because you're going to have each conference will have two divisions of eight teams. Well, eight-team playoff makes a ton of sense from that format. If you're getting to 12, it just kind of, I guess you'd use the at-large bids and maybe you go with a group of five or whatever. But Do we need conferences? I think the conferences like the money that they get from the TV deals through those conferences. But playoff-wise, do you need it, though? No. Like, you can say it for the TV deals, but playoff-wise... I think we saw last year with the scheduling, teams were scheduling opponents like the week of, BYU-Coastal Carolina. That took like two weeks to schedule. Yeah. 
we're scheduling 10 years out in advance right now, which is stupid. It's ridiculous that you have to schedule that far out. Right. Do you actually need the conferences? No, probably not. But yeah. that's all about the TV rights. So if you don't have right. the conferences, is, is that just the eight best teams go into the playoffs if you sure. go in 18 playoffs absolutely because i think that's more intriguing than sitting here saying oh well this from this team's from this conference gets to go in i think if you're saying the eight best at the end of the season go in that's a lot more appealing and if and if you still have to schedule if you still have to schedule quality opponents well maybe that that maybe that is more of an incentive yeah to for for these teams to say okay we can't we can't schedule six blood donors <laughs> And then LSU, and if we hang with LSU for four quarters, feel good about we'll it. feel good about it, and we'll have yeah. a, a one-loss record, and we'll get into the playoffs. Yeah. No, you better schedule somebody important, because now the committee will be looking at strength of schedule and all that. From the, I will, sorry, from the 314, Frank Saravalli just leaked the four super conferences. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't surprise me. Damn it, Frank. Hey, congratulations to B.O., from Bo. or Bo, Bo. <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll defend you on that because when I saw when I saw the note from I Tanner, I thought Bo as well. Like, I did not there's think There's like Bo. this big. I'll, I'll take I a said, picture of this and post it on socials. There's like a big a gap between gap. the B and the O, and then everything else looks. Uh, I wanted looks to normal. ask him like Tanner, did you forget a B? Like, <laughs> is that Bob? And you just forgot to write Bob? Congratulations to Bo. To My apologies uh, from Pacific. He was the winner of the Black Crows pair of tickets. We'll have another pair of those tickets for you tomorrow. I believe that the Fast Lane will have some for you later on this afternoon as well. Stoltz, what else is coming up today on the fast? <laughs> By line? the way, I just saw this from the six three six, and this is a good question. I think this is the this is the big thing on the pushback of no conferences. Six three six asked if they have no conferences, doesn't that kill the rivalries? Not necessarily. You can if you schedule, those. you can schedule those. Mm-hmm. So Michigan, maybe Michigan wants to avoid Ohio State, but you right. know, from from a national from a traditional rivalry standpoint, no, I don't think and I don't still think they have, have hatred for teams. I mean, I'm thinking of the Blues when the Detroit Red Wings initially went to the Eastern Conference. Like you still looked forward to those two games against sure. it because you hated playing against them you know the cubs are always the cardinals natural rivals but how many times has like the red the, have the reds popped up all of a sudden we we yeah. start hating the reds There's a little competitive bit rivalries the red and Sox. historical yeah. rivalries so and they're you two can, different things i think you can kind of have yeah. both but it would be a mess initially i'd be interested to see if they can do it again uh, the problem is and i hate that this is the case but it's all about the tv deals cbs and espn have a deal with the sec and right. so every week you're watching the SEC on CBS sure. and ESPN and ABC, the Big Ten yeah. has theirs like it's it's all of those. Right. Um, and that's that's where the problems would come in. Right. But that's super boring. And I hate that that's the case. Yeah. Stolter, we're looking forward to the fast line. What do you guys have coming up? Jeremy Rutherford's going to join me today because oh, BT's on the game tonight. And Jamie Rivers had to have the day off as well. The, both guys will be back tomorrow. But with Jeremy in we'll talk Did obviously bring all the blues. trade breakdowns i'm sure he'll be breaking some news that. absolutely cardinals obviously we'll stick mostly cardinals and blues today looking forward to that that's coming up from two to six we'll be back tomorrow at 11 on 101 espn i really like uh edmund going into bader give him a blow you've been listening to the bk and ferrario podcast powered by i promise oh 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 o'reilly Count on the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts to recommend the best products for your vehicle and budget. Get maximum cooling system performance for 10 years or 300,000 miles with Peak Long Life Universal Pre-Mixed Antifreeze and Coolant. Now just $3.99 after mail-in rebate. Limit supply. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit OReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.